Welcome back to Homestuck Made This World, a show about critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. I'm Michael, and with me, as always, is Cameron. Yep. Today, it is episode 12, part two of Homestuck Made This World. We're just one step closer to the end of, end of the whole mess, so to speak. Uh, how are you feeling, Cameron? Ooh, good. Yeah. I'm checking. Uh, I'm looking all... Uh, okay, let me check. Uh, fingers and toes. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Awesome. Pulling up the little Sims menu, making sure you're mm-hmm. you're not hungry. <laughs> You've got a nice piece of art in the room to uh, increase oh. your mood. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh, bathroom's already all the way in the red, though. Is that Uh-oh. bad, you think? Mm, well, if your plum bob is, is just a little bit gray, then you're probably all right. Yeah, it's just a little gray. I'm good. Okay, okay, cool. Uh... Man, it's, it really feels weird to be so close to the end of this thing, because... Well, uh, let me say this, coming out of the top, right at the beginning. Okay. I thought this was the final episode. Yeah, uh, you did. <laughs> or part episode, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so I'm reading this thing, and I'm getting toward the end. You know, I got the, whatever, 7959 is the last thing we read for this, and I'm getting to, like, 78... Uh-huh. 7850 and I'm like what could happen at the end of this what, <laughs> like what could this be building to and I got to the end of this reading and I was like I literally sent you a message I was like where are we reading to because I was like this cannot be the end of Homestuck but <laughs> it, wouldn't that have been great like wouldn't that have been a fascinating just huge fuck you to everybody <laughs> <laughs> it would have been it ended in like a you know like one person's like memories of a character and then and then bloop we're done the end Cut hope you enjoyed the show folks <laughs> yeah but uh so anyway my expectations in this uh part episode were like very skewed because i thought we were in the end but mm-hmm. we're not we, we got one more part episode of homestuck proper mm-hmm yeah uh, and I will summarize that in due time, but first I should probably summarize this, which isn't the ending of Homestuck proper. Okay. <clears throat> Roxy asks Calliope to provide moral support while she conjures the troll's matriorb. The gambit pays off, and she does so. Terezi, Rose, John, and Jane hang out until Jaspro Sprite shows up and grabs Jane, taking her to meet Nana Sprite. Roxy and Callie share a private moment before Roxy delivers the matriorb to Kanaya. On Dirk's planet, Dave and Dirk finally begin to talk. Dave works through his complicated feelings about Bro, whom he now admits was negligent and abusive. Dirk says he understands why someone like himself might be that sort of parent, and he's often had problems with people idolizing him, exacerbating his constant secret self-loathing. After hearing about Dirk's admiration of Dave's ancestor, Dave hugs him. At the Enchanted Horse Cliffscape in the Dream Bubbles, Punk Vriska tries to come up with things to do with Mina, who is bored. The real Vriska, which is to say the recently resurrected one, shows up and demands Punk Vriska turn over Caliborn's MacGuffin chest. She says the old Vriska is useless and insults her repeatedly for softening and giving up. She takes Caliborn's MacGuffin and heads off to do battle with Lord English. Mina goes with her, leaving the Punk Vriska alone and crying. Jane gets pranked by Nana Sprite, of whom there are now two, due to how retcon shenanigans worked out. Jake hangs out on his planet with Tavro Sprite when Jaspro Sprite shows up. She throws Nepeta's severed head into the last Colonel Sprite, creating Nepeta Sprite. Vriska has Jake summon the G-Cat, and then has Tavro Sprite pick the cat up, 
prototyping it. She then puts Tavros to sleep to help with his cat allergies. In the Dream Bubbles, Vriska and Mina discover the Ghost Army has been reassembled because Tavros used gumption and friendship on everybody. Vriska has a breakdown, and Tavros immediately turns command of the army over to Mina. Jade follows the Alt Calliope, who explains how the elements of the Classpec system are the fabric of Paradox Space. Space players, such as themselves, are committed to lives of apparent passivity until they rise up dramatically at the moments when they are most needed. Jaspro Sprite goes on a tea party date with Nepeta Sprite as Jake looks on awkwardly. Dave Sprite shows up and shakes hands with Nepeta Sprite, double prototyping her and giving rise to Dave Peta Sprite squared. Dave Peta Sprite and Jaspro Sprite continue to date platonically, sort of, discussing their weird new lives where they feel burdened by no personal issues whatsoever. Dave Peta Sprite heads off and finds Arqueous Sprite, who has built up the kids' houses and now releases their grist caches into Skya. The sprites engage in a grotesque hug, and Andrew Hussey demands that you take a selfie with the image in the background and post it to social media. Dave and Dirk talk even more, with Dave eventually asking for advice on how to come out to his friends. Everyone else gathers on the lily pad and watches Skya light up with grist. Then they break into their teams. Terezi and John bid each other a flirtatious goodbye, then Terezi messages Vriska, who is busy with the ghost army and does not answer. Terezi confesses she's enjoyed their years together on the meteor and admits that she needs Vriska and thinks Vriska probably looks down on her now knowing this. Terezi says without Vriska, she feels incomplete and wishes her luck in battle. Tearfully, she reviews their past together from when they first met online forward, and her seer of mind powers unlock the memories of the Terezi who died after game over. We see this dead Terezi wander the dream bubbles as they are destroyed by Lord English. We are also reminded of many other dramatic deaths suffered by humans and trolls throughout the comic, as we see them awake in the dream bubbles too. The dead Terezi eventually encounters dead punk Vriska, who was indeed the original Vriska with whom she shared a timeline, and they stand together at last, watching happily as paradox space shatters around them. On July 27th, 2015, Andrew Hussey places Homestuck on hiatus for the final time with the Omega Pause. Omega Pause? Yep. That's bigger than a giga. It's the last pause. How long does it pause? Uh, July 2015 through, uh, oh gosh, is it March uh, 2016 when updates resume? It's uh, a late March or early April. Okay. Yeah. It's so, not a year. No, not a year. Not at all. But it is just a, another pause that kind of comes out of nowhere and... Uh, I think s- further serves to uh, maybe dampen a little bit of the the hot flame of Homestuck, which at this point has already dampened considerably compared to what it was in like the summer of 2011. Huh. And uh, so, uh, you know, and I've seen actually because I think in a couple part episodes ago, I asked the question, you know, like what what's the temperature in the fandom at the time, and several people in the Discord have been very helpful who were who were readers, and lots of people who have talked about being um, uh, gigapause readers, right? People who mm-hmm. got caught up at that time. Basically, everyone is like, we're just around. It seems like the general, not everyone, but it seems like the general temperature is, we're just waiting around to see how this thing goes. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if we're still reading, then it's because we're interested in finding out how it ends, but or perhaps not nearly, or at least the people who self-select enough to talk to us about it, right? Mm-hmm. It seems like the general vibe is not like, 
I, I was there to fight, you know, about interpretations of characters or whatever. It mostly seems like a big chunk of people were resigned to the ending. Mm-hmm. Just like, whatever's happening, I'm curious about it because I've invested the time. Um, and obviously that's a selection bias issue, issue, right? Because as you know, as you've expressly said many times, and as the Tumblr Explorer clearly shows, there's still a lot of people talking about it at the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe not the millions who were once way into it. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's a, the other thing that I often hear and have heard throughout the process of doing this particular program is people saying like, oh, I stopped reading during one of the pauses. And it's always phrased that way. Not I stopped reading during the gigapause or I stopped reading during the omega pause, just one of the pauses. Uh, there's a way in which uh, I think for a lot of people who had been on the Homestuck wagon, uh, the pauses just kind of become... Uh, they don't have these these are people who maybe don't have the necessary uh uh investment of time or whatever to just think like i i need to see how this ends or i want to see how it ends sure they might be interested in uh seeing how it ends but that interest doesn't overcome whatever loss of inertia is incurred by the pauses themselves right so right uh yeah, like there, there are people I've heard multiple people uh, uh, say that they are listening to this show basically because they fell off during one of the pauses, never finished Homestuck and are just now this is how they would rather see how it all came together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I give you a little I've been looking for this, uh, uh, this, this quotation for a couple minutes here. Sure thing. Uh, it's from David Milch's book, which I told you it's the best best book I've read this year. No question. Maybe the best book I've read in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um but David Milch was the writer, uh, created uh, NYPD Blue, people probably know, also created Deadwood, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, but uh, notoriously complicated guy, odd fella uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Uh, and uh, he has a chapter in here that uh, that I can't read. Like, I, it would require me to read you the 40 pages of the chapter to kind of get to it. But I, I would say... Um, you know, I, I, two things to say about it. One is that it's really difficult to get through because it deals with David Milch's experiences of being sexually abused as a child, mm. um, and how that kind of fits into his work, uh, and how he kind of processed that through his, his, um, television work. If you don't want to read that, that is very reasonable to not want to read that, but that is what the thing is about. But the reason that, that I bring it up is that, the the chapter works through his theory of kind of narrative development. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like what what is a story and how do stories happen and how do they kind of bring in external influences sometimes when they intend to and sometimes when they don't, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is the thing? And I think w- what's interesting about it, and I kind of wish that I we had room to talk about it. We don't, but, you know, I, I wish we had room to talk about the full 40, 50 pages, if only because... I get the sense that a lot of Homestuck uh, readers uh, who are, are really into Homestuck, w- one of their primary ways of engaging with kind of narrative theory is the way that Homestuck talks about narrative, um, mm-hmm. or at least, you know, in the segment that we have seen. So often when we have disagreements with people who are kind of big Homestuck fans about the way they read Homestuck, it really turns into them uh, walking us through how Homestuck, uh, how Homestuck kind of does the thing. And then I have to say, well, look, I, I like I have kind of a first principle rejection of this, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't agree with the initial claims that get you to that explanation. It really has less to do with what Homestuck does. And so what's fascinating to me and what I really thought about while reading this was like, oh, this is another set of first principles that one could put up against Homestuck to compare and contrast. Not to say that one is better or worse, 
but to say that there are different ways of even approaching these big claims, like the ones we talked about in the last part of episode that that Hussey is making around kind of the autonomy of Homestuck versus you know the kind of personally influenced parts of it or schematic or writerly parts. But a thing where I think both Dave Milch's work and uh, Hussey run into one another, this really stuck with me uh, so much that I marked it on the page. It just took me a minute to find it. Is this is David Milch. And the reason I'm saying this at the beginning of this part of episode is it really, I, I, while reading the work for this stuff or reading the Homestuck section for this, I thought about this quotation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's a really short one. It's on page 108 of, of David Milch's uh, David Milch Life's Work, a Memoir, in case you're curious. Um, Storytelling permits language to have its deepest, fullest expression because it accommodates the dimension of time. The way words and behavior accumulate, they take on more and new meaning. And that was what was happening in these episodes. He's kind of close reading his own his own work. Words are given that fuller dimension, and so too are the experiences of scenes as they accumulate one after another and modify the initial meaning that is experienced by the viewer when the scene is first rendered. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, right? So, like, the power for David Milch in serial storytelling. I mean, he worked in TV predominantly mm-hmm. for 45 years or something like that. And the, and the reason he did that was because it was serial storytelling and because it allows you to use language... And I would say images too, although he cares less about that because uh, he was a writer, 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 sometimes a director, but mostly a writer. Um, it allows you to aggregate on top of previous knowledge mm-hmm. and it allows you to use words to reinterpret previous knowledge. And I would say that what we read today is a an astonishing deployment of that strategy. Mm-hmm. Now, I think and I think whether you agree whether you think it works or not probably requires additional information. But I think if you accept what is in front of you, it is a fascinating turn that is using this exact thing, right? The way words and behavior accumulate, they take on more and new meaning. And that was what was happening in these episodes. Words are given that fuller dimension and so too are the experiences of scenes as they accumulate one after another and modify the initial meaning that is experienced by the viewer when the scene is first rendered. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that, that to me is such a such an interesting thing. Right? Because David Milch is kind of working on the assumption that you'll you'll think about the things you saw before, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also the thing where, especially on the bonus odes, where we kind of push back on the idea of many of the things that Homestuck is, does being new, mm-hmm. right? Or being kind of novel, rather than just really good kind of um, really talented ways of re-articulating things that exist in other media. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is someone who is like, structurally a TV writer. You know what I mean? Like he, mm-hmm. he is someone who is in the bones of television writing post 1980s. Mm-hmm. And he's telling you a thing, you know, in this quotation, it's kind of what Homestuck takes and runs with. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. That's specifically what you were thinking about uh, during the Arqueous Dave Petta hug, right? Yep. That was it. You got me. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, that was not. Uh, the- talk about, uh, yeah, that was not, uh, yeah. This has got some uh, really fascinating maneuvers <laughs> and also right up against it some of the worst parts of the comic <laughs> for me right you know, you know i can always only i can only ever evaluate for myself but truly i've never had it, it yeah there's some real whiplash going on here mm-hmm. um 
Yeah, if you're not reading along, uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about what's going on in that hug and how bizarre it is. Uh, but I mean, unless you wanted to start with that and work our way outward, we could maybe start uh, actually probably with the issue of Riskas. We could do that. We could talk about Nanosprite first. Okay, yeah, let's talk about Ooh. Nanosprite. Woo-hoo-hoo. I've never been. I think I think I, I when Nanosprite showed back up, I sent you a screenshot and it said the goat. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I, I, Nanosprite, I've never been more happy to see a character. Uh, Nanosprite and the mayor, everyone's back. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's great to me. I hope, I hope the mayor kills Lord English. <laughs> I hope, I, this is what I hope happens. Okay, you ready? Okay. This is my cold shot for how Lord English is defeated. Okay. The mayor has some sort of gun. That he has, like, come up with, you know, in a zany way. You know how he does, you know what I mean? He's going to get some cans together. He's going to get... It's going to be, like, the trash... Th- or it's going to be, like, the gravity gun from ha- Half-Life 2. And more importantly, it might just be the gravity gun from Half-Life 2. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It could be that. He's going to take that. He's going to put some tin cans, like... Or he's going to put a jar of mayonnaise in that bad boy. He's going to fire it. He's going to fire it through Nana Sprite. Okay. And she's going to arc it. It's going to take a hard right turn because, you know... Uh, Homestuck shit. Uh-huh. It's gonna make a right. It's gonna shoot through the other sprites. We're gonna get green. We're gonna get pink. We're gonna get the other color. Orange. <laughs> okay. Zing, zang, zoom. It's gonna shoot through one of those uh, cracks in space and time. Mm-hmm. And because it's a blinking can or a jar of mayonnaise, because of that, it's gonna pierce through all the different color layers mm-hmm. of Lord English killing him. And he's going to be so embarrassed he dies. Okay. That's my called shot. All right. Well, well, we'll see next part episode whether or not that happens. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. It's electric. Okay. But anyway, we can talk about whatever you want. I'm just happy to see Nana Sprite back. And I'm happy to see the mayor. And I like the, not just Not just one Nana Sprite, but two of them. I just, I'm happy to just get one. Yeah. I just. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm pleased. <laughs> bonus Nana Sprite. That's just bonus. Yeah, I think the the most. Im- uh, I mean, I love that uh, Jane just gets to talk to Nana Sprite because I- <laughs> Nana Sprite was such a weird emergence early on in the comic, and the fact that we are now like dealing with a character who is her teenage self, it's like, yeah, okay, they get to talk to one another. Uh, and then uh, the the prank that the Nana Sprites pull on Jane is that one of the Nana Sprites has this long conversation with Jane, and people in the thread are like, "Aren't shouldn't there be two Nana Sprites?" Because they've been paying attention to where the sprites all were, you know, at, at various points when all the retcon stuff was going down. So they're like, "I think there should be two Nana Sprites." Uh, so Nana Sprite and Jane have that like. Not not like a serious talk because it's just Nana Sprite and Jane talking about being different versions of each other. Uh, it's kind of lighthearted compared to other stuff that's going on. Um, uh, but then the the capstone to that is the other Nana Sprite sneaks up behind Jane and throws a pie in her face so hard that it knocks Jane out of her shoes and sends her flying, and she goes like skidding along the ground and passes out. Mm-hmm. Now, can you imagine me reading this going, how many pages do we have to the end? We're doing this? We're, I can't believe we're We're having a full-ass tea party with Jake? Yeah. What? Do we have time for this? Do we have, and I, as we got toward the end, I was going, 
or you know, toward the end of this reading, I was going, there must be the world's longest flash at the end of this. <laughs> like, <laughs> it must be 20 minutes to like fit all this in, like just to even close up the, the battles that are supposed to happen here. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, no, the, the, the Nana Sprite prank, and it does follow right on from uh, the confrontation with the Vriskas, where uh, the, yeah. the living Vriska just uh, tears into dead Vriska, calls her a loser, uh, uh, calls her fat, makes a lot of fat phobic jokes about her, um, which is... Uh, another thing that is noted historically, because one of the things that Hussey did on the forum spring, and I think I mentioned this, uh, and if I didn't, I, I, I should have, because it was like, like, it's such a recurring joke in kind of like fan discourse. Uh, Hussey would often make jokes about how Vriska was the fattest troll and like the largest. Um, and this was not like a thing Hussey came oh, up right. with. Right. Like someone asked, like as a, like, I think a troll question, like, you know, which troll is the fattest or which character is the fattest or something. And Hussey was just like, yeah, it's Vriska. Um, and so that became like a recurring joke. And here it shows up in the comic. Uh, again, sort of complicating what I talked about in the previous part episode, this idea of uh, like all the, all the stuff from before, that's the old me. And we're going to silo that off into the early parts of the comic. Uh, no, here, here, uh, vintage Vriska just like brings that back. And, like, weaponizes it against her alternate self, who is being denigrated for being soft, for not being hardcore enough. Uh, this also, I think, ties in with some of the uh, stuff that I read from the book commentary really early on, where Hussey talks about the function of the the author as a storyteller of, be of having, like, uh, praise and scorn for your characters, and that you need to, like, vacillate between these things. So we get a new version of Riska who shows up specifically to scorn the previous version of Riska and uh, kind of implicit, like, it, it, one of, as to quote the thread, we're supposed to be angry at Riska here. Now, I don't know if that's true, but like, that's one right. way of reading this, that uh, we should understand this version of Riska as meaner, as someone we, we shouldn't trust. Uh, but there are also people in the thread who are like, well, I mean, the other Riska is kind of just a, a, a weeping loser at this point. Yeah, I, that that is the, such a fascinating thing. Isn't it? And it aligns with what we were talking about in the last part episode, right? It's just like, I don't, for a comic that is so unambivalent about its characters and their position, right? Like, this is such, so unclear about, uh, you know, which Friska should we be aligned with? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what are the, the positive or negatives about them? Uh, you know, is Friska meant to be doing the good thing and kind of pulling her uh, dead self out of this... Um, uh, I don't know, stasis, you know, I mm -hmm. mean, cause that's what Mina is saying, right? Like we're, we're just burning time, right? You know, they're in purgatory literally. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's just, oh, we're here in fandom zone. I, we should talk about that in a minute too. Right. But like, it's all for nothing because it doesn't go anywhere. Right. It's mm -hmm. all this like closed universe stuff. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I really do think this is in terms of, um, in terms of like, great or interesting things this comic has done i think this might be I, actually i have two or three things that are written in here that i think are like 
some of the best storytelling work that's been done in Homestuck. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I literally in this the reading we did for this part episode, but I think this is one of them where it's, it is so clear to me how every other character, how every other instance, how every other other moment of action could or should be read. You know how it fits into a broader structure of the comic. It is the comic is. Uh, not predictable in outcome, but predictable in structure. Mm-hmm. And and I think this has fueled so much fan discussion. You know, anytime that someone kind of talks about fan theories in our Discord or links us to one on Twitter or whatever, uh, they're all based on repetitive structure mm-hmm. to the extent that Homestuck had to build its own l- logic of repetitive structure to talk about that, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, And so that's fine. This is a place where we just have no tools, with you know, as given... And in the toolbox that the comic has presented us with in the past, we just don't have any tools for reading it. Um, and to me, that's like, oh, shit, like, Hussey's doing something new. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. holy shit, let's go. Let's yeah. do it. I'm into it. Like, like she's just being cruel. I mean, I, 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 please don't mistake me. I'm not like, I don't like this because Vriska's is being a huge asshole, right? Uh, or that I think one Vriska is right or wrong, although I think that, like, historical Vriska or uh, OG Vriska, right, is, like, not—I I don't think she's a great character. But I do think that there's, like, stakes here. There's emotional stakes that are interesting that I don't really understand how they're going to get papered over or resolved. Um, we're meant to stay ambivalent toward it. Uh, mm-hmm. Cynically, it's meant to be argued about in the fandom. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Um, you know, it, the most cynical reading of this is like, I'm going to give you the Vriska you liked and the Vriska who you historically hated, you know, the, <laughs> the real problem Vriska, and I'm going to make them, you know, be in conflict with one another and you got to choose your Vriska, um, in the same way that you got to, you know, choose your type of fandom. Are you a Caliborn or a Calliope? But in a way that I don't find Caliborn and Calliope particularly interesting because of this kind of structural impulse, I at least find the writing of Vriskas here fascinating i don't know i just i was reading it and going like holy shit like what a thing to do at the end here mm-hmm. um it's not that just that they're in conflict it's that this conflict is revealing a depth a- around uh the writing of riska and around hussey's conceptualization of riska mm-hmm. and about the original riska versus the new riska or you know dead versus alive or whatever that is complex and cannot be resolved easily mm-hmm. it cannot be resolved with a well, this was the case the whole time. Here's a little bit of narrative. It, it is truly a moment of actual interpretation and uh, consideration and evaluation that's necessary that I just don't see how it can be resolved with the stroke of a pen somewhere else, which is not 90% of the decisions that are made in Homestuck. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't know. I found it really, really neat. And mm-hmm. I wrote many notes that say something to the effect of, well, what am I supposed to do with this, about, with these Vriskas? <laughs> What am I to do with all these Vriskas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the too many limes, mm-hmm. but Vriskas. <laughs> well, and that's another thing that I think makes the like uh, the perennial is, the contemporary here uh, is X of Vriska conversation both interesting and also like tiresome uh, because Vriska as a character type is written such that vr- the category Vriska can contain its opposite or like its anti-type. So, like, you can, like, which Vriska are you talking about when you ask, is X a Vriska? Which version of Vriska? How does that right. Vriska play out for you? Uh, it, right. it, it goes to show so much uh, uh, what we've uh, hit on repeatedly here um, that the the mental model of a fictional character is capacious and can be made to be capacious. 
Yeah. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. The scene is notable because Mina leaves. Mm-hmm. I think it would not be notable if Mina didn't agree or, or agree to leave. She doesn't mm-hmm. agree with, with, uh, return to Friska, mm-hmm. return to the Friska. That's the <laughs> end of the trilogy. But, uh, you know, but, but nevertheless agrees that she doesn't agree with, with, uh, all the hatred toward dead Vriska, mm-hmm. but does agree that she's bored and wants to leave. And so abandons her, you know, erstwhile girlfriend. They're literally breaking up with one another. Right. Yeah. Like it's hardcore teen feeling. And we get the, we get like, Oh, the, the callback to end all callbacks of, uh, um, I think at the, as she's walking away, Mina calls, uh, Vriska Fishka. Yes. And Vriska's like, I cannot believe you're doing the fish pun thing while breaking up with me. Yes, that, that is that is such a good like little maneuver there, and is also like genuinely emotionally affecting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, so I I guess I have two questions for you. One, I'm sure there's some threads stuff about that. I'm sure something awful is really having a grand time with this. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about that, right? Especially that user base but i'm very curious about how tumblr responded to this so uh, according to the something awful thread uh tumblr really hates this and when we say uh when the something awful thread uh says tumblr as i've flagged a million times right uh what constitutes tumblr who are we following Mm -hmm. who are we talking about but i think what uh one way of understanding this is uh tumblr here in, in the thread is being used as a, a synecdoche or a kind of stand-in for uh, sort of like shippers, right? People who are interested mm. in the relationships, who who don't want to see characters break up, who like to see characters get together and be romantic. Uh, and I would say, like, my understand, like, again, like, the, the Tumblr record is so patchy and I don't know, like, which voices necessarily have the most weight and, like, all, all people have all sorts of opinions. My sense of what's going on... Uh, on uh, Tumblr is that, yeah, there are people who are pretty upset by this. Um, but also there are there are what we would call today Vriska stands on Tumblr uh, who are excited to see uh, this other Vriska kind of back in the saddle and like taking charge of things just as they were excited in the previous partisode. Uh, something that is interesting about the thread, uh, some people get pretty pissed about what Mina does here, that Mina goes with the other Vriska uh, because it is directly contrary to a thing that she said back before Caliborn commandeered the narrative where she uh, had this big like long spiel to John where uh, she told him to when he had that magic ring the ring of life uh, you know don't don't bring that anywhere near me because due to the nature of who I am I'm going to try to steal that from you and then go on some shenanigans so Hmm. I want to be different I want to do something different uh keep that thing away from me and there are people in the something awful thread who are like why did that conversation even happen like why why do we have that happen so mina can go back on it later uh while vriska or like you know this this dead vriska uh is sort of kept from well not really even kept from developing right this is the other uh weird interpretive um tangle here is that Vriska is dead and at the same time has developed as a character, has like changed and become someone who she wasn't earlier in the comic. And as you say, it's kind of extremely ambivalent and nebulous about how are we supposed to understand that? Like those developments, like were they good things, were they bad things Mm -hmm. or whatever? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's the what's the comic's position? I mean, truly, this is the first time in the comic that I felt like the claims about the independence of characters might have some weight in the comic. Say more about that. Well, just because this is a, so so much in the comic previously, there has been a weight and a focus on characters and their decisions and whether they're good, bad, or what the repercussions are, right? Mm-hmm. There are no repercussions, you know, plot-based repercussions for the way these Vriskas are interacting with one another, mm-hmm. right? There, so Just so much of the, right, right, like, as we talked about, Homestuck is written in like kind of a YA mode. Mm-hmm. And I've never, I don't say that critically, right? I'm not saying that as a negative, but it has parameters to it. It has a, a kind of genre form to it. And one of those is fairly clear stakes for the way that characters are acting and then a kind of judgmental um, position toward characters and how they're acting, right? Like we can empathize with them. We understand why they're making those choices, but some character will come along to be like, hey, in the broad context, this is what this means, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, you get Vriska, original Vriska, making all these decisions. And then a little bit later, you get her laying out this vast emotional landscape of why she did that and why it matters and whether it was good or bad or not and if it was okay and what it did to other people, right? There's this kind of melodramatic form, right, where the internal has to be externalized. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. critical to Homestuck. That this this has the effusive quality to it, right? Where like these characters are talking about their feelings and emotions, but not to an end, right? Like there's no moment at the end of this interaction between these two Vriskas where anything in the comic uh, makes a statement one way or the other about which Vriska is the, in the right or which one is in the wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's against type or against genre here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there is a we don't know in the moment good or bad, which of the two uh, dudes from the hunger, PETA and the other guy, right? Oh God, we don't know which name? one's the right choice, right? We don't know about a, a Jacob or the other guy, mm-hmm. you know, in Twilight, right? They both got positives and negatives, but a character will make a choice, right, about these kind of romantic ideations or the, these ideals or, you know, even, you know, in, I'm thinking about the Hunger Games here too, about like the decision to say, what, Rue, the, the little girl, uh-huh. right? That's mm-hmm. the kind of crux of that novel. The, you know, we get an immediate clarification. It's a few chapters later, right? But it's not many books later. But, you know, it's it's deferred a little bit. But we get the novel, uh, you know, via the POV of, of the main character, right? She tells us how we're supposed to feel about that decision. And she can be ambivalent about it herself. But there is, narratively, within the genre, a kind of meta-reflection that happens that tells us, here were the stakes, here's the decision I made, and here's why I made the right choice. Because, mm-hmm. that you know, these are... Novels that are written in a developmental mode, hopefully as a human being, as you go through your life, you make decisions and you reflect on them later and you determine if you think you made the right choice or not. Mm -hmm. Um, You you know, YA follows some like very um, assertive things about how development functions, whether development really functions that way or not. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But that's all to say, we don't really get that here, Mm -hmm. Uh, even in this partisode. um, We what we get around these two Vriskas is that. The Vriska who is ruthlessly bullied, she still gets a good outcome. Mm-hmm. Maybe she has the better outcome. Mm-hmm. But we don't get a narrativation, narrativization about, you know, if that was a good thing or not. Right. We just get that kind of image and that sort of sense of uh, her and that dead Terezi finding each other as this, uh, you know, one like the the one positive outcome of some otherwise bad stuff happening. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 well, and that's an emotionally real thing. Yes. Right, right. Like at the end of the day, life is not, you know, this is of a part with the stuff in the previous part of Soda about kind of breaking narrative here, right? Like in the real world, you don't get to a confirmation about whether or not the choice you made is objectively the right one, right? Mm-hmm. You just have to reflect and make a judgment upon your past self, right? Or about right. the decisions you had in front of you or whatever, right? You have to go on and live your life. Life is, in fact, not like a YA novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I was talking about in terms of, like, these characters being real or having independent kind of function to them, right? In that this is the first place where where um, the protocols that have been set up about the way these characters work in a kind of meta-genre sense within this kind of YA form, where that doesn't really pan out the way. I mean... In some ways, it's a little bit just more numinous and maybe like more mythological, right? Like the good stuff worked out in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, may- maybe, presumably, it's the good stuff, but uh, it's certainly different than what we had before, and I've, I I found that really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, uh, the some of the resonance of or maybe implications of it are also just really interesting because uh, we haven't read to the end yet, but uh, there is this with. That, that final scene with uh, uh, Terezi and Vriska, the, the dead versions, together in the dream bubbles, kind of, you know, happy and watching everything collapse around them nevertheless, uh, it, it does suggest this sense of uh, happiness because, because that alternate Vriska uh, does, ultimately seems to think that she has improved, like, in, in whatever way, like she doesn't uh, react to the other Vriska bullying her by being like, you're right. And I should change to be more like you. Uh, she sort of stays with herself and who she's become. Um, and ultimately, right, this is a Vriska who then has given up on narrative relevance, uh, which is like one right. of these defining qualities of Vriska as a character. She's always got to be at the center of things. She's always got to be like the person who's making the plot go. Uh, and this the, the this reading ends with kind of this gesture of saying like you you can't get through your life uh happy uh thinking you you were at the center of a narrative or like uh doing some transition there from like fictional characters to real people but like because these are fictional characters who are dealing with these uh questions of like what does it mean to be a part of a narrative versus like thrust outside of that narrative and what do i do when i'm not uh, uh relevant to whatever is quote unquote really happening um it is this kind of suggestion, I think, of uh, these characters aren't going to be happy until the plot lets go of them. Like the yeah. like the, the very definition of plot is that uh, complications are going to continue to be introduced. You're always going to be painted into bad ends uh, and have to work your way out of it. And you're never going to be happy as long as a narrative is driving your life. <laughs> and ultimately, right, I, th- this is the never ending story. Mm hmm. Right. Like plot plot is a terror. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that the never ending story is also a YA thing. You know, it is a story explicitly for children. And it's it's kind of an educational story for children. I mean, it's written in a really didactic mode, especially the end. Right. Like mm-hmm. uh, you, you have to realize that life is not like stories. And in, tr- and in fact, trying to 
fit yourself into that is destructive, right? And it, and it actually ruins stories in mm-hmm. some ways, right? In order to to try to treat your life like one. And in that way, it is very much of a piece, uh, you know, going all the way back to a vindication of the rights of women, right? And mm-hmm. uh, um, Wollstonecraft saying that, uh, you know, young girls who read romance novels and imagining themselves as their protagonists, right? That they are uh, doing themselves harm uh, in that way. Uh, or, uh, you know, Madame Bovary, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, the whole maneuver there is that Madame Bovary can't, uh, Emma Bovary can't see herself as anything other than a protagonist of a romance novel. She ruins her life mm-hmm. uh, because of it, right? Now, I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think that Hussey is uh, evoking these same things, right? But there's a kind of line of logic in European um, political. Uh, 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 p- political thought about popular fiction, I guess, mm-hmm. right? That you see kind of transforming over the 18th, 19th, and into Inda's time, right, in the 20th century. Uh, and it's all of a piece with one another, right? So in, in some ways, um, uh, Hussey is just downstream from and is heavily in conversation with a, a tradition that maybe Hussey is not fully aware of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the the claims that are here, right, which is that that seeing oneself as part of a fictional narrative or or trying to fulfill the functions that one would have to fulfill in a fictional narrative is ultimately kind of harmful because it 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 forces you to not recognize the reality around you and weirdly enough dead vriska does that maneuver right like like dead vriska is the protagonist of the vindication of the rights of women in this really weird way um you know she's the anti emma bovary that's one thing that you can say definitively right <laughs> dead vriska is uh, no uh, i'm sorry let me flip it emma bovary is not a dead vriska but emma bovary might be a vriska <laughs> and I know I hate to bring it, you know, yeah. I've, I've banned mm-hmm. this in the Discord. You can't, don't talk to me about it. <laughs> but, I mean, truly in the transitive property here, mm-hmm. um, that's done. And you know what? This is out, by the way, so people know about it. We had uh, Simone de Rochefort on the Range Touch monthly podcast for December. It's behind the paywall, behind the Patreon wall, uh, for $5 a month. But earlier this year, we had Prepare to Give where we had many guests come on and tell us which ending of of uh, Elden Ring correlated to who in their fiction, right? So we had uh, Chip and Ironicus talked about uh, which ending correlated to which creatures in, uh, or not creatures, but characters in Riverdale. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had it for some other things too. And for Homestuck, you told us which ending was which Homestuck character. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Well, now we have had Simone come on the show to explain which driver for formula one <laughs> is which ending to to that so now you can create your big transitive plot uh, of which formula one driver is which character oh, from a formula from one AU stuff. would be so good well there you, I, i'm just letting people know in case you're curious about that but that's my big ideas about uh Vriska. Uh, and and the dueling Vriskas, and it's interesting to hear the kind of uh, historical trajectories there. Uh, speaking of historical trajectories, uh, one of the things that makes this turn with Vriska really interesting to me, um, again, as someone who's like been following the comic historically and sort of like reading the form springs and Hussey's thoughts on these things, uh, in the past, when Hussey has described kind of the difference between what they are doing, telling a story with a narrative uh, versus like what happens in fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they've articulated it in terms, and I've, I've quoted some of this stuff in previous partisodes, but in terms that are things like, uh, and, and this came up even in the last partisode a little bit, this sense that uh, narratives are things with stakes, uh, and fandom is a space where there are no stakes. Like, uh, characters, when they are uh, uh, taken up by fandom, and Ahasi says this around the time that Gamzee uh, goes nuts and starts killing everyone, and people are like, why are you doing this? Why is this happening? Uh, and one of Hussey's responses is like, listen, this is a story and stories have progression and things develop and characters change. Uh, and this is one of the ways that that is happening. I know that like fandom would rather everyone just kind of hang out as if it were a sitcom forever. Um, uh, but that's not what a narrative like that's not what I'm going to do with this narrative. And so it it strikes me as very interesting here at the end where, as I've already laid out, uh, the comic almost seems to suggest, like, well, this is still true, that narratives are things with stakes and development and change, um, but also maybe transformation hap happens in fandom as well, and ultimately uh, the the critique that Mina is leveraging uh, that is very much the the sort of earlier Hussian critique of, like, there's no, like, what are we doing? Like, we're just hanging out, we're just burning time, Um you know, the, the, the suggestion possibly at the end that like, well, yeah, like that's like narrative is burning time too. You're just burning time in two different ways. And one of them might ultimately make you less stressed and more happy than the other than having to think that you're, you know, at the center of all things all the time and constantly have to be engaged and like uh, being the most important person in the room rather than uh, being a person who is happy with other people, who can spend time with other people and do things that make the other people around you happy. I don't know. Right, um, right. So there, there seems to be some sort of uh, resumption of these earlier lines of argument, but also a, not clarification exactly, but a, a development or an elaboration on what these things could mean. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also... Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't. Maybe, maybe we'll hold it. Never mind. I'll hold it for the the final episode. Okay. There's some interesting author insert stuff going on here too, right? Mm -hmm. If if Riska has historically been an author insert, right? What does it mean that that uh, you know, in, in author insert in the sense of of uh the way that Riska moves the plot and thinks the plot and talks the plot while being in the plot has this kind of um. You know, authorial function to it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, although a lighter touch than some of the others who are that. But what does that mean when that character, one of that character's good outcomes, if we if we think about what happens to dead Vriska as a good outcome, which I think I do. Mm -hmm. uh, if if one of those good outcomes is consignment to oblivion, being happy with someone, and not being the center of attention all the time, mm -hmm. which we know post. Homestuck, that is what Hussey has kind of tried to do. Yeah. Although whenever they appear, they do say some, you know, pretty um, inflammatory is not the right word. No, maybe inflammatory is the right word. Uh, you know, they, they make big statements mm -hmm. when they actually do come out. Yeah. Um, and that maybe being in the middle of things, especially during the time uh, during when this is coming out, where Homestuck is finishing up and then that video game is going, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I know that there's a convoluted set of negative things that happen around that right mm -hmm. like maybe you just don't want all, want all that attention and mm -hmm. i get that that makes sense to me absolutely yeah this is the the chunk of the reading um i haven't been talking much about the game and its development because uh it's not my primary interest and it's not something that i really want to like 
I'm telling a history of the comic uh, rather than the history of the game development. Uh, but I think it's important for the comic in this context, at least because this is the chunk of reading when a lot of uh, alleged information about the development of the game and the uh, potential misuse of the Kickstarter funds uh, by mm-hmm. certain parties. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, allegations yes. of misuse. Allegations, yes. is, uh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Allegations of misuse. Uh, these become public, and this really uh, uh, colors the perceptions and attitudes of the readership, uh, particularly in the thread, uh, up until the end. In fact, not to uh, spoil too much, but again, having read all of the the thread up into the present day. Uh, there's a weird way in which the ending of this comic is almost overshadowed by uh, people talking about uh, uh, various rumors about what's going on with the game. And uh, I think that's sort of unfortunate <laughs> that, that that's how mm-hmm. it turns out. Um, but just so you know, that's also kind of what's going on here. Uh, that's like uh, historically, I think, important because it does set this kind of tone of... Um, one project is winding down, the other project is kind of uh, in progress, but people people knowing or hearing that there are problems going, or that there are problems happening with the game development does impact the way that they receive the updates to the comic, right? Like, it makes them mm-hmm. maybe a little more uh, conciliatory or understanding of things, um, and uh, uh, sort of I think a lot of people were upset by the pauses and uh, this ends up making them understand a little bit more that uh, developing a game is actually pretty hard and might run into problems. Uh, You know, whether like whether or not these allegations are true, like clearly, clearly things are happening because like the game has like left one developer. It's been pulled in house that uh, a studio had to get founded. It got like moved like an art asset uh, change has happened. All this stuff. Um, Yeah. And and, you know, this is also. This is part of the time of like the great Kickstarter reckoning. Mm-hmm. It's it started a little bit earlier than this, I would say. Probably the end of 2014 is when this really starts becoming apparent. But into 2015, 2016, I mean, we are echoing through, you know, either big the narrative around Kickstarter, right, is that there are lots of mid level Kickstarters that uh, that happen and go off without a hitch, mm-hmm. right? There are several really big ones that that appear and are well-funded and then have a notoriously fucked up development. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm thinking about here, double find adventure, Mm -hmm. right? Like I've watched every episode. I own it on Blu-ray of the double find adventure saga. And you know, the the reality is, is that Kickstarter, they raised a lot of money on Kickstarter and then that money did not pay for the thing, Mm -hmm. you know, because of what they promised, which is how much money they had and what they promised, after the initial pledge, because, you know, I'm not going to get super into it, but the the scope blew up mm-hmm. substantially, which happened for many people, right? Uh, you know, uh, you can read about the development of Pillars of Eternity and see the exact same story, right? Like, they were probably appropriately scoped for the initial goal, but as they added additional goals, uh, that blew the scope out of the water to the point where I think for both of those projects, both Double Find Adventure and for Pillars of Eternity external funding had to happen, you know, beyond the thing. And so we are at the reckoning point for a lot of that. And then 
lots of Kickstarters that are huge don't come out. Mm-hmm. And then lots of Kickstarters in the middle period really start not coming out. I, in fact, have been getting emails recently about a game that I believe I funded in 2014 that is finally coming out next year. Wow. Uh, I just started getting random emails about it, and I was like, whatever. And so <laughs> people, their relationship to Kickstarter uh, for a long time was, okay, I'm putting money into the thing, and then the thing will come out. Mm-hmm. And then the reality is that you are putting money money into a promise and you're hoping the thing will come out. Mm-hmm. And for a highly interactive fan base, I mean, the, the, the toxicity for most of these projects is off the charts, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of uh, the way people are talking about it, the way people are talking about how they were conned, all this kind of stuff, right? And I can imagine within the Homestuck date, uh, Homestuck uh, fandom in particular, that that was pretty rough. Um and that there are people who are really focusing in on details and blowing it out. And I'm just looking at the thing, right? Like uh, 1,693 people pledged $105 or more. Um, and all you need is for five of those people to be hyper invested in your life and uh, to, in order to make your life a living hell. Just truly. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's all you need. You just need a small number of people who have nothing else to do. Uh, to who who are positioning their lives as holding you accountable mm-hmm. to then make your life truly uh-huh. nightmarish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I imagine just be, I don't know anything about the Homestuck uh, adventure game stuff in terms of like the fandom response or the negative things that happen out of those things. But knowing quite a bit about the other Kickstarter big stuff. I can assume that the same thing is happening here. Mm-hmm. Yes. No. Uh, 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 actually, something that came up um, in the previous reading um that i forgot to mention but i actually think uh fits in really well here uh another thing that kind of comes in with this is uh and also with uh, this idea of maybe trying to extricate yourself from the center of things so on and so forth uh mm-hmm. people are uh, trying to add uh the obituaries of people that they suspect are andrew hussey's family members to hussey's wikipedia page right like uh-huh. in like under the personal life stuff being like uh, oh I noticed that this person died. I think they're related to Andrew Hussey and like trying to add it to the Wikipedia page, uh, which is a a huge like boundary kind of thing, right? Like just for no other reason than I saw this obituary. I think this person is related and I want it to be on their Wikipedia page Um, to, to the something awful threads credit. They're like, this is fucking weird. Like, why on earth would you do this? Well, you know, I the, the, such an odd thing about that too is it's like we don't do that for most public figures, uh-huh. right? Like, like the vast majority of public figures, I, people are not editing their thing to talk about like tertiary family members who died. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you know, unless it's like a notable thing that occurred, you know, we've read. Uh, I forget which director it was. But one of the directors for a thing we covered on Just King Things bonus episode. Um, you know, their oh, his, their his child, son, yeah, had a hit yeah. and run, yeah. Yeah, his son had a very famous hit and run, mm-hmm. uh, you know, basically drove down a sidewalk. And so we talked about that, and that's on the Wikipedia page, right? That's how we found out about it, right? And so, like, notability, both <laughs> notability applies for everyone, you know, in all these situations where it would be added. So it's not outside of the realm of possibility that mm-hmm. information about, a you know, a dead family member might be on there. But it does require, you know, a certain level of notability. Um, and but And so to me, it's like, all right, well, if you're an adult doing this, that seems bad. Mm-hmm. on you know if if you're like a teenager doing it if you're like 13 14 doing it you might just not know right mm-hmm. like you you might not really get a good sense you might think you found a thing that's really interesting that's going to give you a little bit of like 
you know, uh, presence in the fandom, right? Mm-hmm. I'm the person who found this thing, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, made this connection. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. And so that might make you do that stuff. Um, and so, I mean, that's part of like the, if we talk about Homestuck as a totality, the Homestuck fandom also gets treated as a totality, but it's not mm-hmm. one, right? There's a huge different number of segments and it. it's big enough for there to be, as we found out doing the show, right? Wholly separated segments, mm-hmm. like truly, uh, but nevertheless, it is a fandom that talks about itself as if it is one thing, mm-hmm. which is fascinating in and of itself, too. So, you know, that to me would be like, it, it is ultimately a thing you should not do. The level of fucked up to me has to do with what is the maturity level of the person who is doing it? Do they understand what they're doing? Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, do they understand the protocols involved here? I've used the word protocols 500 <laughs> times in the past two part episodes. Apologies to everyone involved. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think a lot uh, a lot about that. But, yeah, ultimately that that the vibes given off by that. Not good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bad vibes. So, uh, yeah, it, I just bring it up because people people came to, to me about it and came to the discord and talked about it afterward because uh, the. The reason I'm phrasing all this very provisionally and uh, uh, is because Hussey never made any sort of official statement about any of this. Uh, but nevertheless, it seems like uh, many readers take up kind of unproblematically just, yeah, like this this person died and that had an effect on uh, something about like the pauses and like the comic kind of sputtering toward the end, right? Because there was like some sort of family crisis on Hussey's end. Again, no statement to this effect has ever been made. It would all be speculation. Um, and so I want to kind of like highlight that because this is another part of what we were talking about in the in the previous part episode about how certain uh, premises or like ideas about how the comic works and why it works in the way it does, uh, where those things come from in history. Like what actions bring this knowledge to the table that then like sediments that knowledge uh, in the ways that fans discuss the comic and in the way that the comic's history and development are just like imagined to exist, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> uh, there's that. Uh, what do you think of this Dave Dirk stuff? Uh, it, it feels unearned. Mm-hmm. Broadly, mm-hmm. meaning that it is taking things that are jokes from the beginning. It's like I was talking about in the last part episode, right? Mm-hmm. It takes things that were that were one-dimensional jokes of just goofery, literally of choosing options that people are presenting and playing a little game with the audience, mm-hmm. and then rewriting them much more realistically into character psychology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think broadly and schematically, weird thing to do. Mm-hmm. But... If you accept that that has occurred, which I I cannot debate, it has in fact occurred. <laughs> it is it has been rendered text, right? Like it's in front of me. A decision has been made to do that. Mm-hmm. I think with it, and so to, to say, big broad, I don't think I would do that. I don't I don't really like that. I, I don't I don't conceptually like treating every moment as a universalized moment of character psychology, mm-hmm. right? Like I think that that robs the history of the comic a little bit more. This is also partially why I read the David Milch quote, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it is only by having those moments in the past that they can then be referenced here to create, maybe, and here's where I'm transitioning to my opinion about this thing, uh, as it exists, maybe one of the most touching moments in the comic. Mm-hmm. 
and the most intensely developed. This is partially, uh, you know, like, I get why people like Dave. I've said this a million times, right? I get why there was such a response to me at the beginning being like, ah, whatever on Dave, right? Mm -hmm. You know, not really liking Dave. And it's because truly, uh, Dave has been given a Mount Everest to climb and then did it. Mm -hmm. And the Mount Everest, of course, summoning Mount Everest here is hugging his pseudo brother. (laughs) His pseudo brother father. Yeah, his, his papa dad. And having that little little uh the art here, impeccable. That little when he's when he's hugging him and there's that little like cheek smoosh that's happening. Uh-huh. Impeccable art. Mm-hmm. Perfect art. Um but uh but so you know, big parameters, I don't know if I agree with the narrative strategy here. Within the the thing itself, uh, yeah, I mean, look, you you have taken someone from the 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 bottom of the nadir of uh internet bullshit humor. Mm-hmm. To the most emotionally true thing that someone could say, right? Mm-hmm. In in long form narrative thing, struggling or, or not struggling is not the right word, but um, dealing with complex emotions, mm-hmm. right? About this person, how you idealize them, who they really are. Should someone be responsible for your mental image of them, right? Mm-hmm. We're getting another hint of uh, author and insert yep. here, right? Mm-hmm. It is notable that the characters who have historically been kind of hussy inserts or, 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 or narratorial inserts here, authorial inserts, get to have these big emotional moments. But then you have that, and then you get the flip side, which I kind of get a little bit more of a sense about why people like Dirk so much now. Mm-hmm. Um, there, uh, you know, there is more to Dirk here in these like five pages than to me than there ever was before. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I just don't, I, I really don't get like the fixation on Dirk as a character that a lot of people have. I just, you know, I, I not only like do, do I, did I not experience that, but I didn't really get it. Now I get it. Uh, even if I don't experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, so I think, it, I think it's interesting. I think it's cool. It's got some of the best, uh, well, anyway, I don't know, you tell me. How do, I'm sure that people are losing their shit about it. Oh, people fucking love it. Oh, really? Yeah. They, oh, okay. like, it is, quote, a major payoff, quote, successfully completed arc. People love it. Like, oh, successfully completed arc. Uh-huh. Which, I mean, it is. It is actually a very traditional character. Literally. Yeah. He, he summited emotional Everest and he got back down again, right? And, like... Now it kind of doesn't matter if he's able to kill Jack Noir, mm-hmm. right? Who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. Right. He had the emotional arc. Like we're 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 on the letdown now. Who cares? Right, right. Dave. I mean, it's all it academic a, from this okay. point because Dave made peace right. with like his bullshit. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a beautiful moment of uh, arcs don't matter, narrative devices don't matter, all that hero's journey stuff is is silly, right? Like all the things we got in the last part episode. And then, but then pretending like that plot-based arcs are the only thing that exists, right? Whereas, mm-hmm. like, he got to have a complete and very normal emotional arc, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he went from being, uh, it's he's fucking Luke Skywalker, right? He went from <laughs> being, like, a goofy little kid who didn't really have any context for the world and was kind of like a goofy little jerk. And then, actually, he's not. He's not Luke Skywalker. He's Han Solo. <laughs> uh, you know, no concerns, whatever. And then he got a family, and then now he gives a shit about stuff, right? And like mm-hmm. he's gotta go blow up the Death Star. Mm-hmm. I mean, Han Solo didn't do that, but you you follow the, yeah, the metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Han Solo helped, right? <laughs> yeah, he helped, uh, and he was willing to help, and that was that was what made the difference. Uh, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say by and large, the the thread, or I should say, and this is alluding to what I called in the previous part of the Great Sundering. Um, uh-huh. By and large, the thread uh, really 
uh, likes this. Uh, but those are the people posting in the thread. I think there are a lot of people who are checking out now and are just not talking about it. And there are people who complain about this because they're like, this is so stupid because why am I supposed to take stuff that was presented as a joke five years ago and like was clearly presented as a joke and now I'm supposed to take it as, uh, uh, you know, something with psychological depth and like, like I, there are people who don't want to make that move or who just like don't think it works and they complain about it. Uh, so there's there's, a I think, a smaller minority. But and this is, I think, sort of notable because um, there this is going to be uh, important for the next part episode or maybe the episode after. Uh, there are people in the thread now who are kind of known as dedicated complainers or hate readers. Uh so and th mm -hmm. this is this is a thing that uh, one of them in particular, there's a person in, in the thread who's, who's kind of a very critical reader who does not like Dirk and does not like the way that Dirk is handled, um, who does not find any of this persuasive for some of the reasons that uh, I've already underscored that it's like this was all just like jokes. And now it's supposed to be serious, like uh, family times, emotional issues. And I just it doesn't work for me. Um and then the other uh, kind of complaint about Dirk that, that comes up is that, like, Dirk has never, seems to have never been made to, uh, or, or, I don't know how to put this. Dirk has manipulative tendencies, uh, but doesn't seem to have, like, let go of any of them. Or, like, his his manipulations are, like, more severe. Mm -hmm. Like, Dirk as a character, you know, aside from, like, stuff with Bro and Dave, the stuff Dirk has actually done seems, like, slightly more severe to some readers uh, than the comic itself seems to let on. Like, it's sort of, like, implausible to, pe to some of these readers that, like, anyone in, like, Dirk's friend group would still want to hang out with him after some of the stuff he's done, right? Um... Um, so yeah, there's, there's all that kind of like, yeah, I, I, I mean, that, that makes sense. And yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I didn't know if you had, you had more to say. I was going to say, uh, for this reading, I was imagining Dirk saying everything in a Batman voice. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, in, in a general sense, it's like, um, I think that a lot gets papered over here by Dirk emotionally responding and saying and reconciling with the fact that he has done things that are bad, mm -hmm. you know? And he's like, look, I, I did a bunch of stuff that was manipulative. And he says explicitly, right? right. Like it, it's, it subtext gets made text here, right? Like I did a bunch of stuff that was manipulative and bad and I'm regretful of it, mm -hmm. which again, much like the risk of thing, uh -huh. that's so much more of a real life scenario than it is like a plotty plot scenario. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, it's there's not divine judgment for doing bad things mm -hmm. for the most part, right? There's just uh, you hopefully recognize you did a bad thing and you don't do it anymore. Um, in in the vast majority of of actual accountability in the world, right? Which is not what fans of things want, right? Uh, that's not really what we go to stories for. We don't go to stories for like nebulous outcomes for a, you know longstanding emotional. Um, you know, I mean, he explicitly calls it, he might not use the word abuse, but he's pretty close in yeah. terms of, uh, of what he talks about his relationship with, uh, Jake. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so, you know, I mean, to me, it was just like, yeah, there's not, 
you know, like a trident didn't come from off screen and impale him and kill him, right? Or he mm-hmm. didn't get punished by the plot. But I also don't know if like the 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 story doesn't have to punish someone for them to right. <laughs> to come to like emotional truth, right? Mm-hmm. Now I don't know where Dirk came to that emotional truth. Like just to be honest with you, I think that there's a lot that's left to fan labor around Dirk. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I think this is probably a place where that's happening. So I, you know, I don't think moment to moment I'm following it, but I do think this like five, six pages, however much it is, I think enough happens in this conversation where I'm like, I am caught up and on board and I'm not mad about like the way that it happens. Mm -hmm. And I will say in a broader sense, this comic seems to assert in a general sense, uh, asserts a strong word. This comic is not interested in thinking about uh, emotional uh, uh, violence or mind control based violence at the same level as stabbing people. No, I, I think that's true, but like, can you unpack for me which what, what are the levels there respectively? I'm just saying, like, Vriska's mind controlling people left and yes, right for okay. a million years, mm-hmm. and like, there's not some sort of divine punishment for that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like she's held accountable for that explicitly. She's held accountable for a bunch of other things, but mostly it's because she's a huge asshole. Yeah. It has to be killed, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really her plot aspirations that get her killed, not her willingness to mind control people left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, the mind control of uh, Jade. You know, that's like part of the villain's repertoire. That's not treated as any worse or better than any other kind of violence. And here, you know, long form manipulation to the point of, you know, what what Dirk essentially says is abuse, right? Mm-hmm. Like that that is not treated at the same level of severity as other kinds of violence, which is fine. You know, mm-hmm. I think Homestuck is implicitly, although not explicitly, um, creating a kind of hierarchy of things that characters should be held accountable for here. And I don't think there's much thought about it. I think it's just happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can imagine in a fandom space um, where the investment in all of these kinds of character interaction are kind of equivalent, right? Like, I don't get the sense in the Homestuck fandom that stabbing someone and mind controlling them in terms of like what you make them do and the kind of violations that are involved there, I don't get a sense they're treated all that differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I could see fans reacting to that and being like, well, what the fuck? Right. But I I think from, you know, in the perspective of what is written in the comic, emotional abuse and manipulation is just like one level down from, you know, uh, uh, you know, stabbing someone, which weirdly enough, also like worldwide genocide is actually probably one level down from emotional abuse. Right. In, ter- in terms of like its severity and your like repercussions for that too. So like at the tippy top is like, did you stab someone? <laughs> You're the worst. Then it's like, did you mind control and or emotionally abuse them? Well, that's number two. And the number three is like blowing planets up and genociding <laughs> entire species. That's number three. Right. And then after that, it's just, it's a free-for-all. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> Being in the insane clown posse, that's number four. Yeah. <laughs> but So anyway, so that's my general thought about it. It's, it's like, I think if you disagree with any uh, step along the way in this uh, um, Dirk and Dave stuff, then I can see you just not being on board. Uh-huh. But I'm willing to whatever it, it works for me and it's it's compelling and it's good writing. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's really strong dialogue writing. Yeah. Um, Dirk here to me is more voicey than Dirk has ever been in the past. Mm-hmm. And I do think that this uh, that's part of the reading of Dirk maybe for some fans is that you can apply this Dirk to the past and get a more full Dirk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that uh, the 
the constant move of, of retroactive continuity uh, yeah. or backfilling or whatever. Uh, and similarly, you know, people are, well, one of the other arguments that goes on in the thread is like, oh, but what if, what if the, uh, the stuff with Dave early on was intended to be, uh, like it was always a setup for this, right? We were always mm-hmm. going to end up here, uh, which I don't think is necessarily true. Uh, and I do, I, I don't think you need to smooth out the discontinuities in the production of this thing, uh, in, in order to like appreciate what's happening there. But also, I think you should recognize like when, uh, when these kind of retroactive moves are being made. And I just have to read this because it's so funny. Uh, this is a post, uh, coming in, in the middle of one of these conversations where people are going back and forth on like, you know, well, how, like, how are we supposed to take all of the stuff with bro back in act two and in, uh, forward, um, and this, I'm just going to quote this person. There was some post on the MSPA forums from 2012 or something where Hussey quotes someone who has taken a picture of a 30 year old and a 13 year old and is using them as a demonstration for why bro beating up Dave is fucked up. I'm pausing here, right? So this is how long this kind of fandom read has been percolating that the stuff, right? It didn't come out of nowhere, even though it first shows up in the something awful thread a couple episodes ago. These are uh, modes of reading or modes of interpretation uh, that I think have always been around, but they start to like coagulate or gain force throughout the course of the comic's life. So there's a person on the forums apparently who is like, here's a picture of a 30 year old. Here's a picture of a 13 year old. It is, it is fucked up for a 30 year old to beat up a 13 year old. This is true. I agree with this. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to be on record. I agree that that is yes. also true. Uh, back to the post. Uh, so Hussey quotes that and quote, and Hussey says something like this post summarizes why bro is awesome far better than I could. The poster concludes this thought with, I think bro was always supposed to be abusive. Mm-hmm. So like the, the moves there that this poster is making are just like really interesting to me because we have like very much forums Hussey responding like someone on the forums being like, hey, you have a 30-year-old beating up a 13-year-old, and here's, like, what those people actually look like, and that would be bad if it happened in real life. And Hussey's response is, this explains so much better, like, why why bro is cool, right? A, a very flippant uh, 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 forums uh, uh, poster response. But then this poster says, like, takes that to mean, I think bro was always supposed to be abusive, Right. Which is just... I mean, I, I, part of it is like, okay, well, I mean, how would you know? Right. Right? Like, <laughs> Hussey is... And maybe this is like a transformation in posting style, right? Right. Like, as sincere... As, you know, New Sincerity Dave emerges at the same time as, like, sincere posting, right? Like, you know, Tumblr brings in a good era, in some ways, of people not veiling themselves entirely behind 15 levels of you know, online horseshit, mm-hmm. right? Like there are people who are just saying what they think about things in the world. Uh, and that, that's, that was refreshing even at the time of like, and of course that gets caught up in lots of other things, right? Like, uh, like sincerity becomes valorized. And so it has its own kind of discourse mode to it, right? Like I'm not, this is not a flat naive thing for me to be saying, right? Mm-hmm. Like I understand all the systems involved, uh, I was around and watched them happen, right? But it, it is a different system than the one that exists before. And so that it's kind of fascinating to think about two 
methods of online engagement, even though they're happening on something awful, which presumably this person is aware of the, you know, these modes over there. Right. Mm -hmm. But like that to me reads like, or, or seems like two different styles of being on the internet, running into one another and having incompatible assumptions about what the speech act on the internet is. Mm -hmm. Um, which is, you know, like, and is this not the ultimate, I, you know, forums puppet master maneuver, you know, Dave was being abused the whole time. Mm hmm. I mean, yeah, right. Like, I, that's that's why this <laughs> right? like, that's why this uh, a little anecdote is so confusing to me because, like, what Hussey seems to be doing is, like, br- like, not even seems to like Hussey is. Uh, if this poster's report is accurate, Hussey said that uh, bro beating up Dave was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and then right. their read on that is like he was always supposed to be abusive, and it's like, as you say, wh- wait, where did you get that? Where's the missing link in the logic there? Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think it is a it's a transformation of previous facts, right? In the same way that, you know, it's the it's moving the hats on the chess pieces, right? Mm-hmm. Like you thought Dave had a little goofy little childhood, but in reality, he was being abused the whole time. It's just it's doing a calibre. Mm-hmm. That's it works. Like, I, you know, I think I, I think it's hard to deny that. Uh, if you, like I said, if you accept the parameters under which it happens, which you don't have to, right? That we 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 can all read the comic and come to our own conclusions. There is not an objective truth of the right reaction to have. Um, but I think that if you accept the parameters, it's well it's well done. Mm-hmm. It, it launches just fine. I don't find the same thing. I don't know if you, how much more you want to talk about this. I'm, I'm happy to sit in on it if you want, but I don't find the same thing to be happening with Terezi and Vriska. Uh. Um, I yeah, we can talk about Terezi and Vriska, but before we get there, uh, on a yeah. slightly different fork of this conversation, where the it's similar questions are being uh raised, uh mm-hmm. what's going on with Gamzee? So in the most important yeah. character in the whole comic, we thought at one point. Mm-hmm. But but we were fools. Well, he is the most important character because he's in the main villain, and he also raised the main <laughs> villain, and I guess that's true. <laughs> uh, created the main villain by summoning him from uh, the nightmare beyond reality. Uh, but um um, so in the previous reading, one of the again just extremely funny things that gets said that I think a person was saying in like all earnestness, but it's such a funny thing to say, uh, is that when Vriska talks about how she has Gamzee locked in the refrigerator, someone in the thread yeah. is like, this is unfair to Gamzee. It is unfair to Gamzee. Let him out. <laughs> let him out. Let Gamzee out. <laughs> yeah, let that clown out. Goddamn. Uh, I, you know, it's amusing to me just because it's like, how do you get to this point? And you're like, like, I care about fairness for Gamzee. I care about fair. I'm that person. I made that post. <laughs> I, I'm in this picture. I show me Gamzee. Oh God. Uh but so this is this is also a great example for this reading. A great example of how forums work or like how discussions on the internet work at all. Because this is a thing that happens. I've seen this happen in our Discord multiple times. Um Someone comes into the thread, into the Something Awful thread, and is like, hey, you won't believe that there are people on Tumblr who are arguing for a Gamzee redemption arc. They're saying it's going to happen or it should happen because Gamzee is not actually responsible for the things that he did. Uh, because, and they do the same move here that has happened with Dave, right? Gamzee mm-hmm, mm-hmm. had a bad home life. 
we get this very throwaway detail back during Gamzee's introduction that his loosest is often away at sea. So we can we can uh, argue from this point that he's had a kind of negligent upbringing. Uh, also mm-hmm. in Gamzee's introduction, it's mentioned that he eats the soper slime pies to keep the uh, uh, voices of the like I don't know hell clowns from the future or whatever out of his out of his consciousness. Um, mm-hmm. So Gamzee is mentally ill. So really like. We shouldn't think of Gamzee as a villain here. Uh, Gamzee needs to be, like, recuperated in some way. Um, so this gets introduced into the thread of someone, like, reporting what's going on in Tumblr. Guys, check this out. You won't believe it. And it follows mm-hmm. a very, very internet pattern. The first couple posts after this are like, oh, my God, that's so absurd. Uh, I cannot believe that anyone would say this, that anyone would have these thoughts or these interpretations. Uh, It's absolutely ridiculous. Then, eventually, someone comes in and says, well, actually, when you think about it, here's all the ways in which this is actually a good reading. And from that point forward, for the next, like, page and a half... People are just like having earnest discussion about the thing that was introduced uh, as something mockable, right? That there are just like mm-hmm. suddenly it's mm-hmm. just Gamzee is Gamzee responsible chat sincerely. Is there going to be a Gamzee redemption arc sincerely from that point forward? Um, right. And so when I say that this is so like uh, uh, exemplary of like online discourse, it's precisely in this way that like. Something is introduced in a particular context. Hey, here's a thing for us to laugh at. People do the thing. They laugh at it. And then uh, someone else has to come in and say, well, actually, and now suddenly, like, the the thing that was introduced has, like, dominated whatever conversation was going on previously. Right? Do you, you, you know what I'm getting at, Cameron? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Should you uh, make your kid open a can of beans or not? Yes. Uh, should you bring your neighbor chili? Uh-huh. <laughs> should you have coffee with your husband? You, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the greatest forum war ever recorded closed after, you know, 15,000 posts, right? Like, yeah, I, yes, this is, this is like a cornerstone of online discourse, mm-hmm. um, which is like, uh, unilateral statements about what is good and true and then fighting it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, like. The, it's enculturated, right? Like, and and it's rewarded, particularly, weirdly enough, uh, on the forums, it's enculturated, right? Like, the, there's, that's the thing you do, mm-hmm. is you introduce content for content's sake, and then you argue about the content. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. This is, by the way, for the most part, and, and you, you've said it's come up on the Discord, and it has come up on the Discord, but really, honestly, on our, our Discord, pretty minimal, because we try to s- strongly curtail this kind of behavior yes. on our Discord, which is like, look at this shit, mm-hmm. right? Like, and whatever that is, you know, unless you have, like, a reason that you care about the thing and you want to talk about it and, and not in a look at this shit way, right? But like, uh, hey, wait, this is this interesting, positive or negative, right? Um, it, you know, con- I, we, many of our social systems that are online mediated are driven by content for content's sake. Mm-hmm. I want to be here and I want to be talking. Let's introduce some shit to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me is just like that. I mean, that's one of the fundamental problems with Twitter all- alongside uh, algorithmic um, uh, amplification, mm-hmm. right? Like on-, on Twitter, not only do you need to introduce shit to talk about, but you get rewarded for talking about whatever, you know, it, as long as someone is talking about it and you can aggregate that into a bigger number for yourself, then you're rewarded for doing it, right? So, like, the incentives are extremely perverse. 
in that way. But but the the mech the the just pure mechanism of content for content's sake to generate some conversation to entertain me in the short term that I think that ends up in bad outcomes for the most most point uh, most of the time. Um, so we try to really strongly curtail that um, mm-hmm. and to mostly good results. I mean, we have a whole rule about it. Um, yeah. And if you come to this court, abide by rule 5.1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I implore you. Uh, but yeah, that I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And look, um, Homestuck gave you the tools to do that, right? Like Homestuck made this world, but this world made Homestuck, right? Like Homestuck's, uh, con- we've talked about this a million times, right? The ability to debate minutia in the background of Homestuck and argue about whether or not it's important or not is based on or or is predicated on. And the storytelling it's, method itself is in conversation with the online discursive patterns that existed before it. Mm-hmm. That's why we did a bonus episode on loss. Yep. Right. <laughs> uh, it, we haven't done it, but maybe we will. You know, it's not scheduled, but maybe it'll be a bonus. As I've said before, right after the show is over, we'll have a few more bonus notes to go through to do. But that's arrested development, too, mm-hmm. which is so crucial earlier. Right. What detail in the background is going to come up again later and be really actually important? Mm-hmm. Right. Dead dove do not eat. <laughs> or do not open yeah yeah and if you want to check uh, out the but yeah so that's a yeah yeah go ahead oh, sorry so if you want to check out any of the bonus odes that we've already done either on lost or future bonus odes possibly on arrested development you can go to rangetouch.com or shit you can go to patreon.com slash range touch uh where you can support us and get access to those bonus odes at the uh ten dollar tier uh much appreciated and i think there's lots of really good conversations happening there uh we really appreciate all the uh support that we've gotten so far over the course of this project i i've talked about this extensively that uh it helps me keep reading the posts god help me and uh if you uh, want to help us out in any other way, you can suggest us, recommend us by word of mouth to your friends, uh, because we don't do any advertising other than talking about ourselves on our own shows or occasionally on other people's shows when we guest there. Um, uh, the other thing you can do is leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you leave a five-star review, that is also funny. There's a chance that Cameron will read it on a future ad break. Like, so, maybe? Yeah, you gotta leave a five star review. Can't leave less than five stars. Gotta leave the five star review to get around right the show. That's the deal. We got a we got a, a review from Zero Alexander. Now that I feel an overwhelming urge to use this term in my everyday life, how should I explain the Wizards Corner to my friends and family? Now, here's an interesting thing, Zero Alexander. Perhaps it is my uh, lack of elocution, but. The term that we use is the wizard's quarter, mm-hmm. which is the final quarter of the final fifth. I forget what the actual or the final tenth. Uh, something. There's like a calculation. That. Yeah, it's some bit. It's like the la- some part. The last quarter of a baker's dozen or something. I don't know. That's right. That's right. It is the last quarter of a baker's dozen. You're right. Uh, and it's not the wizard's corner. However. I'm willing to fold that in. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to give a... Well, let's do the Wizard's Corner, too. What's the Wizard's Corner? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's the um, fifth corner in a game of Foursquare. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you got you got a war over it. That's actually what's happening narratively here in Homestuck, is that there's a Wizard's Corner, and different characters are jockeying for position in, <laughs> in the metaphor that is 
the fifth corner in, in, uh, in there. So thanks to Zero Alexander for introducing new terminology. Now that we have both a wizard's corner and a wizard's quarter, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'll be using that going forward. So thanks so much to Zero Alexander for that five-star review. And you can leave a five-star review too. We only are known by word of mouth. We are like sequencing up actually in like the podcasts, uh, Apple podcast uh, rankings. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, we're getting up there. It's like critical role than us, you know, <laughs> we're at that level. So uh, give us that five-star review. It helps out. Actually, legitimately helps out a lot, getting people to know about the show. Yeah. So thanks to everyone who was reviewed. Yeah, thank you. Uh, just to talk a little bit very briefly, we can get to the Trezzy Vriska stuff, but I, I promised we need to describe for people who aren't reading what is going on with the Arqueous Dave Petta hug. Uh, you're going to have to explain. Well, it's... <laughs> It's it's very grody looking. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. So this uh, page, which is page, uh, oh, it's oh, it's not the same anymore. This is one of those interesting interesting things. Um, so there is still a Tumblr. I, I mentioned this in the summary that like when this hug happens, uh, the the comic is like, by the way, you should uh, take a, a picture of yourself, right? Take a selfie with this in the background and post it to social media. Um, choke the internet with your selfies or something is the way that it's phrased. So there are still tumblers. I'm going to just actually send you one of these, Cameron, uh, so you can look at it. Can you give me a page number on the hug? I don't, yeah, I'm I don't trying to find it, it because this is what's confusing oh, is that uh, the, the selfies are called 9828 selfies, but that's the old style of Homestuck's numbering before it got changed. Right. Oh, then it's 7828. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, no, it's not. Okay. Well, I tried. You, I tried so you hard. You tried. It's seven nine two eight. Seven nine. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Because I did when I saw that, I would look down at the thing. I was like, "Oh, this is pretty close." Mm-hmm. Oh God. Yeah. It's loud. Jesus. It's Christ. extremely loud and ugly. I don't know about that. Well, I do like the extremely well defined asses. <laughs> yes, and like the the ass has abs below it on like the sprite yeah. tail. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, when I say ugly, I mean that with all due affection and respect, because this is an art asset by uh, a fan artist who went by the name IPGD or I Punch Gay Deer. Um, okay. It was it was a time you could call yourself anything on the Internet and still can. Uh, yeah. Uh, and she was most well known for basically doing shock art, like extremely uh, uh, grotesquely detailed and explicit uh Images of like sweet bro and hella Jeff performing oral sex on each other and that sort of thing. Um, I'm looking it up. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I want you. I gotta know. Yeah, I can't. You can't introduce that and and not have me. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm for the record. I'm also not. I'm just. I'm not gonna reblog this to the <laughs> to the fan art Tumblr. You can. Oh come on. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll put it under a cut. Um. Uh. No, please don't. You don't have yeah, to. The, the uh, what? It's actually kind of. I can't find it. Don't you know what? I can't find it. Don't say I was gonna say if you can't find it, I know where to look for it, but um No, I don't wanna know. I don't wanna know. I I have my my dark warrens. Um You know, here's the reality is that sometimes it's much like that uh the ear cutting scene in Reservoir Dogs, uh right? Sometimes your imagination's more powerful than what you could see. (laughs) 
that's how I feel about what I, what you're describing. So yeah, just let me. I'll 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 uh, you know live with my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, this image exists. It's like Arqueous Sprite and Dave Petta hugging. Uh, and it's not like sexually explicit, but again, it's like grotesquely detailed. It's what it's truly what Bakhtin would have called grotesque realism that uh, uh, emphasizes like the physicality of the flesh and sort of like folds and wrinkles and sweat. Uh, uh, like just, uh, uh, the, the weird, un, not unstable, but, um, the open, uh, uh, soft, uh, uh, manipulable, uh, reality of flesh. Uh, and they're hugging while a really loud, annoying song plays and it keeps flashing back and forth between them hugging uh like sweet bro and hella jeff hugging each other and saying that's what the reference which is a sweet bro and hella jeff reference right this is a callback to sweet bro and hella jeff trying to figure out how to hug one another in one of the those comics um and then there's just a huge long description underneath it uh the greatest reunion in homestuck history nay the greatest moment it does not get better than this it will not get better than this at some point possibly during the fifth or sixth loop of the above animation which you can't seem to stop watching and listening to a thought occurs to you etc and this has all been worth it it's all been worth it for here it's yep yep. um this happens like it's there the other thing that ipg d did uh that i wanted to mention was uh i talked about the sweet bro and hella jeff book um Mm-hmm. She also did the cover art for that, like the big fancy book that, and she did it in the style of, um, uh, uh, what is it? Is it, sun, uh, uh, Sunday at La Grand Jatte? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are you, is that what the painting is in? And you're talking about, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh. Painting in the park with George. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a Sunday afternoon on the island of La Grande Jatte. Uh, oh, that by yeah. by Georges Seurat, like a very famous um, uh, pointillist uh, uh, impressionist painting. Uh, and so the the cover of finishing the hatch. <laughs> the cover of the sweet bro is touching the hatch. Ba 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 ba. The cover of the sweet bro and Hella Jeff book is done uh, by IPGD. Uh, like as a parody of this, but with like all the sweet bro and hella Jeff characters. So um, hmm. that's the sort of thing that she did. Um, uh, also, just I guess to mention it, because if I don't, someone else will. Uh, IPGD was the one who uh, gave all of the alleged details about uh, uh, alleged mismanagement of funds during the game's development and was eventually told to take it down by what pumpkin. Um, Fascinating. Yeah. So that's there. Uh, anyhow. This this exists. It's uh, uh, Arqueous Sprite and Dave Sprite hugging each other. And this is uh, presented after Dave and Dirk have their whole heart to heart. And it's interesting to me because like it's it's the same scene repeated, but as a joke. Right. Like the, yeah. these are both. It's a version of Dave and a version of Dirk like embracing. But now in like this weird, like parodic way uh, that also follows on from uh, Arqueous Sprite. Uh, launching all of the grist caches into Skya. Uh, so again, if you're not reading how this works, uh, the kids are still building up their houses. That's still part of the game. So the houses have been built up from the planets. And then at the top, this kind of like oil derrick is installed by Arqueous. And then the grist shoots out of that into Skya, which is at the center of like the, the medium. 
Um, and Hussey talks about in the book commentary about how this is obvious fertility imagery uh, and was always intended to be there. And uh, of course, is this is the job given to Arqueus, who is like this big muscular, like, uh, I guess, pervert, right? Who's constantly thinking about sweat and fluids and touching things. So great. Love love this through line of Homestuck. Lots of fun. Uh, sure. Truly, this is, I think I said in a million partisodes ago, uh, you know, the, the things that you said about Homestuck as it was running had this like weird... Uh, even if you said them as a joke, right, even if it was joke speculation, it would have this weird way of uh, coming around and just coming true. Way back in like 2011, 2012, sometime around there, I have a post on the Something Awful forums in the Homestuck thread where I speculate that this is how Skya is going to work, that you build up the house, you put a thing on top and you uh, shoot all of the grist into Skya. And I explicitly say, uh, and this would be done as like obvious uh, 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 phallic and yonic like fertility imagery. And then I end the post by saying, actually, that would be gross and silly and it shouldn't happen. And lo and behold... Here we are. It's happening. And according to the author commentary was always going to happen. So, well, this is not too graphic. Yeah. Um, because if it were, it wouldn't be Homestuck. <laughs> this is as close, uh, just a uh, multicolored uh, garbage flying out of an oil derrick into uh, the earth. That's as close to a sexual image as you can get. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, that's that. Uh, just to tie off that uh, incredible plot thread. Um, yeah, so the, I guess we can talk about uh, the stuff with Terezi and Vriska with this flash, which is called Remember. Um, and just to run around ahead of you, Cameron, so you can then give your response. Thread loves this. A plus, mm -hmm. like emotional capstone. Uh, people are disappointed that this... Uh, comes with the announcement of another hiatus. Uh, but people are like, after seeing this, I am confident that uh, Homestuck will deliver a good ending because this feels like so uh, uh, on point to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't think it works in the same way that um, Dave and Dirk do. Partially because it's done almost entirely through monologue, mm -hmm. right? I mean, before the actual flash itself, right? We get this long monologue from Terezi, and then, uh, and then, like, you know, wordlessly through images. Mm -hmm. um, and the images here are not particularly interesting to me. I mean, it's just you know, they find one another. Yeah. Um, the yeah the the reason I don't really, in order to make Dave. And Dirk work. And I, maybe my reaction here actually has to do with the fact that we just got Dave Dirk, right? Mm -hmm. And this kind of long emotional journey that we get over the text and how it connects up with some stuff that we've had over the past couple acts, particularly around Dave's development. Uh, I I don't think the same amount of work's been done in the comic around Terezi. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't think it's happening. I think you can draw a line between uh, classic Terezi through her... Uh, self-sacrifice right and her decision to undo the killing of Riska to get here right like I I there's no uh, you know from this position you can see a clear line all the way back uh -huh. right so so it's grounded it's grounded if you accept the terms under which it occurred it is it is grounded right so like that's not where my uh unhappiness comes from or my um 
uh, I, yeah, I think Teresa got done dirty, basically. Like, uh, Vriska as a character, dead Vriska, did not have to get... She she changed in a way that was developmentally interesting for her, mm-hmm. right? Good or bad, who knows, right? But I think that she transformed and had a lot of introspection in the dream bubbles in order to get herself there. And we get a lot of track kind of laid to this. I think a lot of the track for Terezi just got laid, like in the in the past five pages or, you know, before this happens, this monologue. Mm-hmm. I think so much of Terezi has to get hollowed out uh, in order to make room for this that it doesn't feel like the same character. Uh, and I guess you could say the same thing about Dave. He doesn't really feel like the same character as he was at the very beginning, but we've had a lot of points of check-in along the way. Mm-hmm. And I think that the jumps that are made from Terezi in Act 6, you know, Act 6 is very long, but uh, I think the jumps from point to point, uh, you know, I feel like Terezi jumps from A to D, mm-hmm. and then D to F, and then F to what, H, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, whereas Dave, we get like, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's very few implications. I think there's a lot of fan work going in to make this work on the Terezian, because she's not, she's not Daredevil anymore, mm-hmm. right? Because that didn't work out, I guess, right? That's not sufficient to her. Although, given the way the time cut works, she should be. Uh, Oh, no, because it's dead, Teresi. Never mind. (laughs) She shouldn't. No, I'm sorry. I'm making the shortcut in my head, right? (laughs) So even then, right? I don't know. Like, I think you have to do a lot of work to put the words that are in Teresi's mouth here at the end of this act into Teresi's mind right before she gives John... Uh, the directions, right? Mm-hmm. In order to make all these connections happen. Mm-hmm. And I think you could do, I think you can draw that line. Mm-hmm. That line is not as clearly um, placed for me as Dave is. Yeah. Or as Vriska is. Mm-hmm. Um, the, here in at the end of this partisode, Terezi is presented as if she has had the same amount of introspection as all of the other kind of mainline characters. I just don't think that's true. I don't. I've not skipped anything. I've been reading everything all the way through. Mm-hmm. You know, I've read you know, a lot of words of Homestuck at this point. And whereas Vriska, as an archival reader, I can see it. Dave, as an archival reader, I can see it. I think Terezi, as an archival reader, it might be harder. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there might be more fan investment that was serially around than there than than here. So I think maybe I'm missing some of the push that gets her here. Yeah. Now, do I think that it works in the end, like Dave and? Uh, um, Dirk, sure. Like, I, 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 that's great. It's a good ending for these characters, mm-hmm. or, you know, as far as an ending as we have, right? It's a good place for them to land. I just, I, you know, it's kind of a bummer to see what you have to do to Terezi to get her here. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like change or growth or arkiness. She doesn't climb an Everest, right? Mm-hmm. She believes she made a mistake and has to have it undone. And then the undoing ultimately creates the conditions for her to be happy. Right. Um, so I don't know. Right. Just I don't know. I I just doesn't feel like it has the track laid for it in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree. Uh, I remember historically uh, thinking two things simultaneously about this flash. One that I love it. I think it rips. Um, and two, it feels a little like it comes out of nowhere. Uh, and I think we got some uh, pushback uh, from a couple of corners, maybe even the wizard's corner. Uh, uh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, I, hold on. I forget the person's name. Oh. Zero Alexander. Yeah. Zero Alexander. That's right. <laughs> the wizard's corner. Zero Alexander. You got uh-huh. it. Uh, uh, back when, uh, Vriska first came back, 
And your response to that was like, so this is just like purely instrumental, right? Like that this was done because Terezi thinks that Vriska is the person that can like solve all these problems. Mm -hmm. um, and we got some pushback on that. Uh, and I think it is because uh, this moment can land so strongly and like can be so definitive of like what is going on with Terezi and Vriska that, uh, say it with me, folks, uh, it can spackle over what the serial experience of reading was like. Uh, oh, no. and it can sort of obscure some things, uh, that are notable, namely that, uh, you know, Vriska and Terezi have been friends. Absolutely. Right. They have this very complicated friendship, uh, and that's not, uh, uh, up for debate. Um, but the specific like undertones of that friendship are up in the air very much. So it's a lot of like off screen stuff. And of course there are people in the fandom who are Vriska Terezi shippers, like just full speed ahead with it. Right. Like, uh, mm -hmm. choo choo, like that's what they want. And there's, so there's, uh, you would reading the serially know that that's in the air. Um, but the, and we talked about this even during the meteor journey, like clearly Vriska it, during those walk arounds with Mina, when you find out that Vriska or, uh, uh, you find Terezi and she's wearing her hoodie because she's upset. And it turns out she's had, uh, uh, Arania heal her eyes and everything. Um, mm -hmm. clearly Terezi is upset because she, and she says as much, she's unsure of what she did, right? She doesn't know if killing Vriska was the right choice. Right. But it is unclear if that's like a romantic, I loved her and I shouldn't have done that. Or if like, she was my friend and I killed her. Like as, as tendentious as our relationship was, I don't think I'd made the right choice in killing her. Um, so it is really like, and part of this is because Terezi is always fronting. Terezi is a very performative right. voice, a very performative character, uh, particularly like with regard to like John, right? Uh, there's a bit uh, in either this past reading or this one where John is talking about all of the stuff he had to do during the retcon that didn't seem terribly relevant to what ended up happening. And Terezi's just like, yeah, I was probably just fucking with you. Because right. that's how Terezi responds. She's always got this kind of shield of irony. Um, and then here in this message to Vriska, we are seeing her uh, really open herself up in a way that she hasn't opened up before. And it's kind of novel, right? She's been sad with people, certainly, and she's been thoughtful for with people, but uh, she's never been this direct uh, in kind of like staking out her emotional claims on, on this whole thing. Um, and I think it's good, right? I, I like, I am not angry about this. I, but I do think it does kind of, you say it kind of like hollows her out. It, uh, I don't know if I would put it that way, but, um, it does like recast all of that irony and performance in a very specific, different light that you wouldn't necessarily get to, um, Right. If you were, unless, right, unless you started with the first thought, I hope Terezi and Vriska, like, have a thing. Like, an actual thing that is more mm -hmm. than friendship. Well, yeah, and I think by hollowed out, I just mean you have to make room for mm -hmm. it. And so a lot of the other parts of Terezi just kind of go away here, right? And and you can read that, like, and I think that this is probably, like, the standard reading, right? Mm -hmm. Um you can read that as just like, that's the maturing of the character, right? Mm -hmm. Like she, as you're saying, she gets rid of this kind of uh, front, you know, she is a little bit more sincere. It's a similar move to that other characters are making. I think that's a valid reading, but I, I, you know, 
I think what makes Terezi interesting as a character is kind of like her assertiveness, her willingness to commit to the bit, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And like to kind of turn some things into a little bit of a bit, maybe even when she shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And like Vriska shows back up and gets to do all the same shit that Vriska used to do where you're like, yay, Vriska, you know, being a real mess over here. And Terezi doesn't. Teresi's kind of like become a different kind of person mm-hmm. to like in the plot, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know. I think it, I think it, it is. It's my interest in Teresi in the character that makes me be like, oh, you know, I don't, I, I, you know, this is not my favorite thing to have happen to her. But I see where it comes mm-hmm. from. And I see that, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're, you've, you're already invested in that and you're reading for it and you're looking for it and you want it to be in the thing, then it can be there. I just think it's a lightly drawn line that, re- that really does require a little bit more, um, work Mm -hmm. you know on the part of the reader uh, which is fine that's how homestuck functions right like if if we have a disagree i I think sometimes people get a sense you know this comes up a few times right like what we are saying here is authoritative uh where it's not i think we are just demonstrating a different way of reading sometimes and sometimes just the logic of the reading itself Mm -hmm. right like what are you thinking about what fronts for me for teresi what fronts there is not her like otp status right and like who she's with right um what what's on front for me is like uh what does Terezi see as integral to her as a person uh that she needs to carry forward and because that's the whole question about you know her blindness or not right uh she she was blind and took that to be integral to herself and had a lot of thoughts and feelings about it and then it was cured you know big quotation marks here uh, you know, she, she was, uh, given sight again and then had like kind of an, a big breakdown about that. Right. Mm-hmm. What, who am I as a person? And now it seems like the, who am I as a person is resolved as one part of a partnership. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think you're right. I, the, uh, I, I, and I think that's just less interesting than maybe some other path to go down for me. I think I, I would prefer to see a different Terezi. Maybe there is, we still got more to read. Mm-hmm. Maybe we get to have both Terezis, right? It's just partially maybe where we ended. Mm-hmm that influences how I think. But I also think you're right. I, the, I, I mostly enjoy this, uh, flash. Although I, I, uh, I'm not sure I like the, like, we were friends for eternity backfilling of visual information here. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I like that part necessarily. Although the art's great. Yeah. The art is really good. Uh, I, I sort of, well, I guess I'm interested in what you have to say on that, but like what I can say just to describe the flash again for the Mm. the non-reader, how this works is we've got uh, this very sad, uh, uh, melancholy, but also, uh, well, someone in the thread ages ago, because this is is a fairly well-known song uh, in the fandom by this point. It came out, I think, sometime around Act 5. It's called uh, Do You Remember Me? And it starts as a Vriska John song in the... Uh, album it has like its own little thumbnail art and it's like the scene where Vriska shows up outside John's house when they're both already dead so here it gets reformatted into a, a Vriska Terezi song uh and but someone way back when called it like too adult contemporary for me and it's got that kind of vibe mm-hmm. uh but uh nonetheless it's it's very uh it starts out very melancholy, very sad, and then gets kind of like soaring and hopeful as uh, the dead Teresi and the dead Vriska are just kind of like wandering around in, in the blankness of the dream bubbles. And it gets intercut with 
or not intercut, but sort of like in the background, you see these panels drawn of like these the characters when they were kids, and they're they're adorably drawn, like you know, big big uh, beautiful eyes and like big child heads and like tiny little chibi bodies. Um, and so you see like the uh, Vriska in her room and like Terezi symbol pops up as a, a chat notification on her computer. And we're to understand, right, this was like in some way this was how they met, right? The two of them and we see mm-hmm. them, these two mm-hmm. kids uh, on the computer talking to one another, like typing. And then we see them uh, playing their role playing games together and hanging out and like arguing over the the outcomes of their role playing games. And then like both napping on a treasure hoard later. All of the fun times that presumably, you know, that they might have had. Uh, but now we're getting kind of explicitly shown as memories that these characters have. An entire kind of uh, perspective on their relationship um, and sort of like a, a historical depth to their relationship uh, that could have been implied, of course, up until this point uh, and would have been implied, I guess. But uh hasn't been a thing that a lot of people have talked about, right? Hasn't been um, a topic of conversation. Uh, and this is one of the ways in which, like, Homestuck as a narrative and the way that its narrative works is very different from kind of, like, traditional understandings of narrative where you show a person certain things in order uh, to justify the thing that you are ultimately going to show them at the end, right? Everything is kind of, like, piece by piece building up to something, Uh, And there should be kind of a clear through line. One of the things that Homestuck does is kind of show you what seem to be random parts of a sequence of events, leaving a bunch of gaps. And it can be uh, unclear whether or not those are gaps that you're meant to fill in yourself uh, Mm -hmm. or if those gaps are going to be retroactively filled in later uh, in order to sell some other kind of like big narrative twist. Um, and so I, I just think that's also a part of it here, right, is that uh, uh, Homestuck has an achronological approach to uh, how it constructs narratives, and it results in in kind of this kind of thing where something happens late in the game that has a warping effect on everything behind it. But if you approach it in mm-hmm. a, a, a more straightforward way, you might not pick up on those moves, uh, and it might result yeah. in a different reading experience. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, the ability to focus in or not focus in, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, in my reading of Terezi, I'm not focusing in on the relationship with Vriska, right? Like as a, as an object of interest. Right. By virtue of not doing that, it's surrounded by 50,000 other things about Terezi, right? That you can be interested in. And so, because I'm not doing that, some stuff just kind of comes out of nowhere, right? Or not comes out of nowhere, but has less of a justification in my memory, right? This is also the benefit of the database, Mm -hmm. right? That like the database of Tumblr posts of, uh, you know, the archive of something awful posts, the wiki, right? Which has such a determinate, I think at this point, such a determinate value for a lot of people who are entering into Homestuck. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, decisions that are made there and the, the ability to kind of access, access that, right, gives you um, uh, a particular way of building a narrative, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you, you build it's build your own investment <laughs> in, in a literal way. Mm-hmm. Um, and partially the reason that you're talking about these gaps exist is that Hussey can't edit. Mm hmm. Right. Like, I mean, that's happened. But the retcon is the closest thing that Hussey has to an edit mm-hmm. uh, here. If you're making a comic, if I'm making Watchmen, right, like. 
uh, uh, you know, Dave Gibbons and Alan Moore. Alan Moore's writing some words out. Dave G- Gabe Gibbons is illustrating them. They're going to have the whole issue done. They're going to pass it back and forth. They're going to look at it. An editor's going to look at it. They're going to make a call. And then at the end, they're going to finalize it. And then it goes to print, mm-hmm. right? Um, during that process, they might think, you know what? On page 23, there's a panel that needs a little bit more setup on page two. Let's go back and change page two before anyone sees any of mm-hmm. this. That's not the case for you can't do that with Homestuck. You, what you have to do is you have to change the way that one reads, uh, you know, uh, page two that you posted five years ago mm-hmm. uh, by creating <laughs> page 25 that recontextualizes it. Right. And that's actually, you know, storytelling wise. That's why I think the uh, this uh, flash is so compelling. Right. Is that it does have to be completed when it's post posted. Right. Like. Uh, the it it is a moment in which linear chronology in terms of the phenomenal reading of experience in it, right what image do you see one after another in sequence very shortly in a timeline that's determined by literally a video file right that's where it can be so tightly controlled where the database actually doesn't really rule where traditional images following one another in the way that you would have in a finite published comic book for example right mm-hmm. like that starlight calliope or whatever uh the way that that would function right so it it isn't really interesting thing like this way of reading characters uh you know and and what is your investment and how do you come to an investment around the character really is a kind of interesting slice of a lot of broader truths you know about the way that homestuck functions as opposed to the way that maybe a more traditional comic book does or even other web comics which won't you know, for example, have these flashes in them with such a tight control mm-hmm. uh, to them. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's all to say. Everyone's right about Terezi, <laughs> I say. No, I, I thank you for saying that because that actually helped me uh, uh, articulate something that I was trying to get across before, which is like one of the, you know, it's not like there's a, a Homestuck is written in a bad way. Homestuck is written in the way that it is written uh, and it has certain effects. One of the advantages of a more traditional narrative that is going to be edited in the way that you're describing um, and there's more kind of like uh, uh, paying uh, very specific atten- attention to kind of like the slow escalation and construction of things uh, is because it allows you to focus the reader's attention on the things that you mm-hmm. think are important, right? These are the things that you should right. know. Keep these in mind going forward. And Homestuck uh, often finds itself in positions where it wants to make something that wasn't, uh, well, this happens in two ways. One, this is how many of the plot twists or like apparent plot twists work is like this thing that you didn't think was important turned out to actually be important. It turned out that you were not uh, uh, focusing your attention correctly, sucker. Um, Or uh, in a way that like, because this is kind of like a living narrative being written without an editor, uh, it's like, oh, shit i need to do something right how do i do that oh i can go back to an earlier moment and like shift the way that we were supposed to pay attention to it in order to achieve a different goal here at the end so Mm -hmm. um that's kind of like the two the two writerly or editorial temporalities that that are at stake here yeah no, the only other thing i was going to say is like uh this really is this kind of question of terezi weirdly enough uh you know, it. I think it's a strong demonstration why, if you're an academic who is making, uh, or or just someone who's writing, you know, just generally critically about the way that narrative works, or some true, you know, some statements about uh, what how you think a medium functions. Mm-hmm. You Homestuck 
uh, is like a, you know, it's a lever under a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it puts the lie to a lot of standard claims about, say, how video games or comics or movies work. Uh-huh. Right? Like, because, well, it's got pieces of all those in them and it leverages them to different ways, but then it recontextualizes, like, what it, what is uh, the set of expectations one might have going into it? Mm-hmm. Um, and what are the outputs that come from these different forms? I just, I, you know, it is astonishing to me. No, it's not astonishing. Having read the thing, it's not astonishing to me, but, uh, it's disappointing to me that there's not more academic work on Homestuck because I think it is such a useful thing to point to in order to think about how mediatization works. Um, yes, yes. That's why I'm here. You got it. (laughs) I think we're going to write a book on Homestuck. I don't know. I think, oh, I think you've convinced uh, me, Michael. I'll write it. Yeah. Okay, good. Great. Oh, that makes it so much easier for me. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. anyway, that, that's just what I wanted to say is that, you know, uh, the part of the way of describing Homestuck for me, right, as, as you just heard a minute ago, is like, well, here's how it works in another medium. Here's how Homestuck works. The difference between these two things tells us something, right? But mm-hmm. the flip should be true, right? When we talk about uh, Watchmen, right, and the way that it functions... Uh, Homestuck can also provide an example to, to enliven how we discuss Watchmen or whatever the fuck, right? Superior mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> I guess the other thing here, too, if, you, if you're trying to close up the episode, the one other thing I want to say about this is that th- this has been the case for several other, um, what do you call them, um, flashes that we've seen. But it, it mm-hmm. really is notable to me the way that fan art and fan art kind of key art gets used. So like Mm -hmm. many of these are not animations, you know, animation plays on, on top of these, but uh, it's just key art of like a situation that's occurring, right. Between these two Mm -hmm. characters. And uh, they're used as kind of flashpoints in time in the way that you would, um, you know, if it were on a traditional comics page, if it were printed, it would be like five images, you know, kind of in a row on a page. And it's like, here's, all these different things that these people did. This is a common maneuver in like team comics, like an X-Men, right? It's like mm-hmm. uh, uh, on, on a cold December morning. And then it's like, you know, Wolverine and uh, you know, whatever. Uh, what's that guy's name? Cannonball. And they're like, they're sparring and Kitty pride is like eating soup. And you know what I mean? Like <laughs> we get these different times and spaces of the characters in like static images Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all the other characters, too, from throughout the comic, right? right. We see, like, the dead Equius, the dead Aridin, uh, and all of them coming back. So it's not just all this new information about these characters. It's these specific iconic moments from earlier in the comic when all these characters you know and love died. Right. And it made me really think about the way that um, people in the Discord and on Twitter, when they've, you know, when, when they've tagged us into the show or, like, had conversations that have tagged us in, the way specifically they've talked about fan art and also the response to the fan art Tumblr, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, which is like the the moment of fan, the static image, right, of a situation having storytelling capability, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it's, it's this kind of prompt that like, uh, you know, invites you to talk about it or think about it or or do that kind of stuff. And it's so fascinating for me that it seems like for a chunk of the the Homestuck audience, like that's a big mode of engagement, right? Like, mm-hmm. and the, you know, we've talked about this before in the fanfic of the writing, right? Like, what if these two characters met? What would happen, right? But then there also seems to be this parallel thing of like, what if these two characters met? Here's what it would look like. Here's maybe what they would do together. And then that's a prompt for 
thought discussion, whatever Tumblr posts, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so fascinating to me is I, I think that I've got this kind of hang of, you know, I've talked in previous episodes. I don't really have that relationship to these images, right? Like, uh, you know, we talked about in the bonus episode, you can go to patreon.com slash range touch on fan animations, right? Where it's like, uh, some of these are just static images and I'm looking at them and they don't do a lot for me. You know, like mm-hmm. th- these surely are these characters. And I think in my mind, this kind of fan production, like the stick, cause I've been thinking about it since that episode. Um, this kind of fan production in my mind is, it, 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 I have a framework of like the, uh, like the key art pinup style of like Marvel comics in the nineties and early two thousands. Right. Where it's like, mm-hmm. you get your, your, you got a picture of Spider-Man, right. Or I've got, I've got a, like an old fan. <laughs> Jonah Jameson is pleased. <laughs> yeah, finally. Uh, <laughs> we, but, or, you know, I've got a Fangoria that I bought for just King things and it's got a, a pinup of, of Ash from evil dead in it for maybe army of darkness. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's like, Oh, you rip it out. It's a poster. It goes in your wall and you look at it and it like makes you think about, ash right and how cool mm-hmm. ash is right and i've really been thinking about this as you know i just moved recently and i have nothing on my walls here and i didn't have anything on my walls in the previous place i was living but here i'm gonna put things on the walls and i've been thinking well, what do i want up there right and so but so for me like this kind of static art is is locked into this kind of evocative form where it's like mm-hmm. you look at it and maybe this might be a truly generational thing or like a, an audience thing, right? Like I wasn't in the circuits, the cultural circuits that do this other thing, which almost certainly has to do with my upbringing and my access to internet things and things like my age, probably all these things mm-hmm. are, are related to one another. But when I look at a piece of static art, it, to me, it's never a prompt for me, right? I'm never like, I wonder what the human torch is going to do with that beach ball. You know, I wonder what him and Reed Richards are going to get up to on that beach, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's that's not the thing. Right? It's just like a piece of key art to look at and be like, the Human Torch is cool. But it's uh-huh. so clear to me, and especially the, because this is how the storytelling happens in this Flash and has happened in several others, right? Like, the, the key art is meant to be like a moment in time that you can then use to like talk about or think about or whatever, right? And that's just not my relationship to these things. So it's been really fascinating to read Homestuck and to, to think about this stuff and really kind of come to, a, like, a, again, to use the term I've used a lot, like a reading protocol difference, right? But a, a mm-hmm. how to read the static image protocol difference. Um, and people in our Discord have talked about the fact that, like, some of them were introduced. This is a while back when people were having this conversation. But some were introduced to Homestuck entirely just by looking at the art. And, that, and, and some people have said that their primary mode of engagement was just looking at fan art of the Mm -hmm. thing. Right. And then thinking and talking and reading like Tumblr posts about it and things like that. So it's such an interesting thing to me of, of moving from one image regime to another. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, I, I think rarely, uh, rarely do I see a thing and, and just not have access, you know, to it in any kind of way in terms of like, I don't really have a road in, um, I can schematically understand that relationship to the image, but I don't really have a, a road into it. I don't think there's anything I interact with in that way that I have the same relation to. But then I was thinking about the episode of Game Study Study Buddies we just did on Suvik Mukherjee. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Mukherjee, sorry. Apologies. I went back to the old pronunciation that I had in my head that was wrong. Shovik uh, 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 Mukherjee. There we go. Mm-hmm. Got it right. And I was thinking about that in the chapter on after action reports. Mm. Right. And so after you play a strategy game and uh, you, uh, you know, uh, uh, do this kind of stuff and you think about the play afterward. Right. There's this abstraction in front of you of stuff and then you narrativize it afterward. Right. 
that's a thing that I do every time. Like mm-hmm. every time I'm playing the you know, I play a lot of city builder strategy games. I'm always thinking about narratively what's happening in this game with no narrative layer, right? And mm-hmm. so I so weirdly enough, I guess I do, you know, like after I was thinking about it, I do have this kind of narrative way in, right? Where it's I do take the civilization game, right? That has no story to it whatsoever. And then I infer and build all this kind of stuff in my head of thinking about well, what what happened when this happened? And you know, I wrote blog posts about that ten years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, you know, it, the best uh, inference that I can make about this. It's kind of how people have a re- re- relationship to fan art here. Um, mm-hmm. So that's all to say. Sorry, sorry to, to go long on that. But it's been an interesting way over the past couple of episodes of thinking about that and, and thinking about me not having, you know, that particular relationship, but having one that's kind of maybe analogous to other people's. Uh, it, this show would be pointless if we didn't learn something along the way. Yeah, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. so. So, but you want to close up the episode? Well, uh, you want to shut I, this down. I want to shut it down. I want to tell you about something that I learned. But before I do that, I just saw something in my notes that I wanted to touch on. Oh, um, you had mentioned you wanted to talk about uh, Genli I and Estraven from the Left Hand of Darkness. Oh, you know what? I do, but I just talked for so long that I probably don't want to do that. Um, okay, but but you you are correct. Uh, the only thing about that uh, that maybe, and I know I've mentioned them before on the show. But but the I was thinking about that in terms of Terezi and Vriska. Oh, okay. That uh, Vriski, uh, Vriski, uh, <laughs> uh, Vris, Vriska and Terezi have a similar uh, end relationship to me as those two characters from the Left Hand of Darkness, but mm. missing the the front two thirds of the novel. Okay, and that's right. a really I, fascinating comparison to me. Uh, maybe I'll get into in a bonus episode or something like that, but. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know if it was going to be them or if it might might have been the the Roxy Calliope thing, which we kind of glossed over. But there is this moment, and this the thread is kind of goes hog wild here, like uh, Roxy and Calliope. Like uh, Roxy is taking Calliope to like basically hide out on Jade's planet while the uh, final battle is going down, mm-hmm. and they have this heart to heart conversation. And then there's like this cutaway to like a big like sort of landscape view of Jade's house on the island, and it's implied that like Roxy and Calliope are maybe hugging or kissing there or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not shown. Uh, and so the, the thread goes wild about that, but I didn't know if you were taking it with Terezi and Vriska or with whatever, uh, the Roxy Calliope thing with, um, uh, Roxy being human and Calliope being a cherub. And there's something about, uh, uh, Calliope being in a, um, a weird position for a cherub, right? Mm-hmm. She she is like not cultured in the way she is not enculturated, I should say, in the way that cherubs are quote unquote supposed to be, according to the lore of this setting. She's more human, and so there's uh, something going on here about uh, uh, again like determinations of society and culture and like what you are as an embodied being and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that's a much smarter okay. connection than the one I was making. It, it was only <laughs> that I that the the um. Yeah, the the way that the left hand of darkness ends up is kind of similar to the way that Terezi Vriska end up, but the it's an interesting comparative of what is the thread that gets them there, and mm-hmm. and I think the thread in Homestuck is much thinner than the thread in uh, uh, Left Hand of Darkness, although both are predicated on how you fill in gaps, mm-hmm. which is why I use the left hand of darkness to teach science fiction regularly. Um, you you have to you have to kind of change the way you read in order to get it, and some students won't uh, or or are unwilling to do that, and they're like, "Well, why does this happen?" And it's like, "Well, there are cultural inferences that happen in the book." So anyway, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so I guess speaking of culture and learning things and whatever, uh, the other thought that I have here to, to close us out, and this is also about the Remember Flash, is just sort of reviewing what I thought about it at the time. And uh, one of the reasons why it hit for me, and it turns out that there are several. So this is posting uh, in July of 2015, late July, uh, and uh, getting the uh, annoying stuff out of the way first, biographically, this was an important time for me. Um, uh, I came out as bisexual at the beginning of that month, uh, and it... Uh, obviously changed a lot of things about my life and sort of like resulted in a lot of hard conversations, but it was a necessary thing for me to finally live, uh, uh, as the person that I, uh, knew I was. Mm -hmm. Um, and I want to say this here, at least partly because I understand that Holmes, like Hussey has already said, historically, the gay singularity is coming. Uh, all these characters are suddenly in queer relationships. Uh, uh, Homestuck has this reputation for uh, attracting queer people and particularly, uh, you know, these jokes about Homestuck made me queer in whatever way. Right. Mm -hmm. This is a this is a thing that I've seen a million times. Yeah. Homestuck um, made me gay. I've seen a thousand times. Yes. Right. Uh, like I am not immune from that. Right. It's an overstatement right to the point of, of being a joke. Like I, there was all sorts of other things going on for me, but uh, it would be untrue to say that. I was not weirdly enough part of whatever demographic uh, that, that like this is the broader cultural things here, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, uh, 2015, uh, uh, the Obergefell uh, decision had been made. Um, oh, just a couple, just the year before, a couple years before. Uh, anyway, right? Like uh, culture was changing, right? Culture was changing uh, in big ways outside of the comic, and that gets reflected inside of the comic. Yeah, you didn't live in rural Indiana. <laughs> I no longer lived in rural <laughs> probably, Indiana, and we can't understand that one. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, and so you know that happens, uh, and I think that's part of uh, one of the reasons "Remember" hits for me as uh, uh, this. In, there's almost a, a, a Jose Esteban Munoz kind of cruising utopia thing here, right? Like, what are the uh, when we think about queerness, like? what are the lives that we didn't lead, right? What are the lives that we weren't allowed to lead? And how could we build a world that could let people um, live the lives that we couldn't have? Uh, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Um, so there's that. Um, the other thing is the internet. Uh, one of the big reasons I've already said this, that Homestuck was so kind of attractive to me from the get-go was the way that it represented online friendships. And uh, sort of the ways that technology it was interacting with people's day-to-day -day lives. Uh, or like rather the day-to-day the -day lives of like shut-in children, of which I was one. Uh, and this mm -hmm. was a thread that felt like it kind of fell out of the comic as, as I kept reading. Which was sort of sad, but also like not a... Other other cool stuff was going on. I understood that it could not be actually just four kids stuck in their bedrooms for the entire time talking on chat clients. Um, yeah, once you start blowing up planets, it's hard to keep the <laughs> keep the scale down. Yeah, right. I mean, the, the uh, way that Hussey has managed that here at the end is like, uh, well, what if I just locked everyone in the same room until the last <laughs> possible instance? Right. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, you know, that, that kind of falls out and I'm like, OK, you know, whatever. The comic changes direction. It changes direction multiple times and I follow along with it anyway. 
Um, but it isn't until this flash uh, that I start to kind of put together another way of thinking about uh, the way that this comic is talking about the experience of what it means to live your life online, uh, which is uh, we've talked about the the dream bubbles and kind of paradox space is this sort of representation of like you know it's it's like ontological first principle fandom uh all of these other versions of these characters proliferating and doing whatever and then dying um but it's in watching this flash that i suddenly realize uh that this is also my experience growing up online where i was a part of so many different forums so many different chat rooms and you know i was a performative kid anyway um uh, might surprise you Shocker, to, to hear I that. I can't believe it. Oh right? my god. Um, uh, but one of the things that being <laughs> online for me uh, really did is it like allowed me to play with my own performativity in ways that I never couldn't do in day-to-day life, right? I could be like different kinds of kooky people and I already talked about, you know, my, my experiences with trolling and pretending that I knew the future and things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so Watching this flash makes me think about, uh, you know, in 2015, on the tail of all of this stuff with with my own coming out and everything, makes me think about uh, how many different people I tried to be, thinking here of all these weeping Marios. And I, uh, uh, I'm i knowingly resuming some of these uh, uh points to kind of like open Homestuck outward. One of the one of the things that I wanted to do with this show um, is take a way of engaging with media that I think often like tries to uh, seal it off from the world by like making making it constantly explain itself, right? Why does this story have to work this way? It's because it has like some sort of magical law or some physics, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to uh, empirically try to tease out the details or pretend we're empiricists and tease out those details. And that's you can do that, but like what is interesting to me about literature? One of the reasons I studied it uh, and got my PhD is because I think literature is like what Stuart Hall says about theory. It's a way of cracking open your experience of the world Uh, and using Homestuck to kind of crack open this experience of being online, of having these kind of multiple types of people that I had to play. And I say that uh, had to. Uh, It it wasn't a... um, it wasn't a bad thing, right? There was something liberating about that. There was something freeing about being able to just, like, try to go to a forum, uh, see if I could, like, make friends there, decide it wasn't for me, or fuck it up entirely, and then just quit, right? Mm-hmm. That Michael failed. Whatever that Michael was, he was gone. Um, and thinking about that experience of being online and the people that I ended up knowing and meeting, the friends that I made, right? I uh, I have been an, in Terezi Vriska situations, right? I have met people online who have become my dearest friends, and I have met people online who have been my dearest friends who have also uh, hurt me, and I've hurt them in ways that uh, we both ended up being ashamed about, right? And have had to uh, like have difficult conversations about. And... Uh, I wasn't, you know, the first kid to do this, uh, but I was definitely part of kind of this first generation uh, or like one of the first generations to be in the position to like have these experiences and try to figure out, well, what does this mean about me in the world and who Mm -hmm. I am? Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is also happening at the moment when uh, in in the mid 2000s or the mid 2010s, rather, uh, when I'm seeing the Internet where I had all of these experiences die. 
uh, it's breaking apart around me. It's getting uh, siloed into the major platforms, into Facebook. And this is happening to me too, right? There aren't multiple Michaels out there running around on the internet anymore uh, because I became professionalized. I became this guy on Twitter who makes games and has academic thoughts. And so it's like all these uh, other versions of myself just sort of like slowly withered away. And what I'm left with is me, the person that I am and the choices that I've made. Uh, and uh, the internet gave me a way, well, to put it in a different way. People have always been like this. You're always uh, uh, trying out different aspects of yourself or different personalities. Uh, but what the internet did, or like what I think the internet does, um, is it makes us inscribe those different versions of ourselves in ways that are sort of historically novel. Not that people weren't writing diaries or writing about themselves before, but like the internet as kind of this place where all of this inscription is happening. Uh, and where do those inscriptions go? Do they linger forever? Do they get folded into a larger narrative? Or do they disappear entirely as the forum is shut down, no one archived it, and it's gone, right? Uh so remember, finally, ultimately hits for me because uh, I guess this is for me the emotional capstone to what this thing is saying about uh, what it's like to be a person who grows up on the internet. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. I leave you with that as someone who grew up on the internet. We're finishing it next time. Yeah, next time. Uh, oh, I, uh, I, I, I have out, a better ending to this. I went outside and I was uh, hanging out in trees and rolling around in dirt. I didn't do any of that. <laughs> well, that's great. But uh, one benefit of this, <laughs> this is a note that I think I, I should end mm -hmm. on. Um, so uh, my ultimately, you know, uh, with the, the Caliborn reveal a couple part episodes ago, uh, that whole thing became very, uh, I, it weighed heavily on me, right? The sense that I had been on track to be a much worse person than I ended up being. Uh, but then you know, realizing after the fact, like, oh, this is a character who's written in response to kind of a readership or a demographic. Uh, and whatever was producing me as that type of person, those those things have continued. They're still producing people who are uh, angry and hateful and so on and so forth. And what do I do about that in the world? Well, one of the things I've started doing is podcasting and trying to, uh, you know, speak uh, uh, better things into the world than I think I would have uh, when, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. uh, but the other benefit of doing this show is that it allows you to notice things that you forget. Uh, you know, as I look upon these inscriptions that I myself have made in the forums that I've been reading, uh, the, my relationship with Caliborn uh, became so determinant to the way that I understood Homestuck and how I sort of thought about Homestuck forever from the point that Caliborn shows up in the story in 2012 onward, um, that it turns out I actually forgot something. And it's something that I got to learn again uh, in doing the show. And I've actually already told you, and I'm not going to do any bells and whistles, uh, but it turns out, uh, you know, it wasn't the anti-fan sentiment that brought me into Homestuck. The thing that made me post about it for the first time was the John uh, reunite with your loving wife and daughter flash. Like, just the goofiest possible, silliest joke, right? Like a, a, a high five from history from myself that's mm -hmm. just been hanging for too long. And, uh, you know, a, a way of realizing that uh, no matter how, I don't know, bitter and hateful I used to be, I wasn't 
ultimately only that person. I had other interests. I had other parts of me that were allowed to grow. And I never would have understood that without you. Without you, there'd be no sun in my sky. Oh, God. <laughs> there'd be no love in my life. Stick it up your ass, Lutz. Are you kidding me right now? (laughs) Oh, and I, I need you in my arms, need you to hold. You're my words, my heart, my soul. If you ever leave, baby, I would take away everything that's real in my life. Get your guitar. Get your guitar out. I know you have a guitar. And tell me It's I'm playing right now. It's the noise canceling. Oh, okay, great. How do I live without you? Okay, you found you got back. You got back to okay. it. But I don't think okay. any of the rest of that was even remotely what that sounds like. Who the heck cares? Uh until next time. Me, I'm getting uh, on the, I'm making up a no, don't so I'm making a post right now. <laughs> I'm on the something awful forums talking about how you can't you finally uh uh prodded me to post. Mm-hmm. I'm doing anyway, okay, you can end the episode now. <laughs> oh, we're closing it out. Uh the mainline homestuck. Until next time, uh you should read into page eight thousand one hundred and thirty, which is the end credits. Uh see you then. <laughs> <laughs>